When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And I think I think that's it at its core. When you don't understand something, uh, sometimes it's easier to make fun of it than to try to understand it. So let me, I'm pausing. We're kind of making fun of these people. Right? Well, I do understand, <laughs> but I'm saying I do understand. I'm sure that you understand them because she thinks that she understands Fortnite. I'm just saying. I am sure. I am sure. She, she has not thought through why did this person make a million dollars. Welcome to episode 43. Bienvenido. You did MDMA therapy. I did. Discuss. So I, don't, I don't have a ton to... Well, there, it was it was huge. I was instructed not to talk much about it. Okay. So I haven't really told you a ton. I think it's now several days. Uh, I'll talk about it generally and maybe some of the general things. I will I'll try to avoid any of the specifics, of which there were a lot, because if you're not familiar, MDMA is what is the active ingredient in what people call the party drug ecstasy. And it has people take it at raves and it has that euphoric effect and you want to touch everybody. It's a serotonin dump and then it blocks the reuptake. So you stay in that lovey-dovey high for a while. When done in a therapeutic setting... Sorry, in layman's terms, it takes all the happiness juice in your brain and it squeezes it all out at once. And then it doesn't let it get re-back absorbed for a little while. So people love to do it at raves. I've never done anything like that. Uh, always scared me. I didn't want to do this to my happiness juices yeah, yeah. and ring it out. I was like, you know what? I'm cool with an, with a normal drip of of happiness. Uh, the therapy setting, dude. The intentions change it tremendously. <laughs> so my intentions were, uh, you work it out with the person who with whom you're doing it, and it's it was uh, for me explore fear of intimacy, explore the masks that I've been wearing, how they get in the way of me connecting with people. And to use my breath to go deeper. Did you go in <clears throat> knowing what masks you thought you no, wore? No. Okay. So you're no just idea. like, I think I wear masks. Everyone wear masks. Yes. I want to know what mine are and how they hold yes. me back. Yes. Uh, and you kind of talk like there's a handful of, you know that you want it to center around love. And really the only thing that I had personal that I was like, I think I'm interested in truth. And so you add a why to all of your intentions. I want to understand the mask that I'm wearing so that... I can engage with myself and the world in a more truthful, loving manner, right? So you set these intentions up. You go into this. It's an area with a little cot. Take it. And I think if at the moment of taking it, she were like, you know what? Screw this. Let's go to the mall. I would have just run around and like giving people hugs all day. You know, I, it's that's clearly what MDMA is capable of doing. Instead, <laughs> you put on an eye mask. You put on uh, like binaural beats. And man, it was, there was moments where it was hard. 
Yeah, like, which is shocking to me. Yes, and, and which was surprising to me. Um, and I think it's partially because I, I really think that's uncommon. It's partially because I have previously done ayahuasca and 5-MeO-DMT and gone to places in my psyche that are terrifying and not resolved whatever was going on there. <coughs> So this starts me going off down that path. I'm like, not again, not again, not again. For the record, though, I, I've done both those things, and yeah. I've subsequently done Molly, and I did not have uh, mm. a tough time. Totally. I do think something in your brain um, is working through something. I think yes. people could do these things in the order you did them and not necessarily struggle with the MDMA. Yes. I, I just think it might make it slightly more likely to struggle. And I'll tell you, like, we've talked about some of my other experiences but the 5-MeO in particular, I was screaming and crying. And so when I felt myself start to lose control under this, I was like, not again, not again, not again. <laughs> like, I do not want to go to whatever place I went to. And that was the 5-MeO really got you, man. Oh, dude. It, it got was... you good. So I started to work a little bit of that, of that deep fear of that. But that's – I'll save that for another time. I'm supposed to keep my personal stuff personal. Um, for how long? I don't know. Um, she, she said a couple weeks. We'll see. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah. We'll, we'll see. That's fascinating because normally when I finish psychedelics, I just want to tell the world about it. I did. I was like, okay, so I, I was like, should I call them now? Like, should I call my <laughs> friends and family now? And she's like, no, no. Uh, in fact, the only person I'd recommend talking to is your dog. <laughs> like, like, wow. Uh, keep this. Don't even. I don't even want to talk to you about it right now. Uh, you and I will talk in a few days, but I think the best thing for you is to let this process in you. Interesting. So anyway, it wasn't it wasn't anywhere near that difficulty. I sensed myself going there, and then luckily it is MDMA and not 5-MeO-DMT, so it's uh, more comfortable, but also very personal. And, and this is tough to understand if you've never done any of these substances. Some of the other ones can be uh, spirographic, falling, like senses colliding. I'm falling into a picture, then there's a sound. Yeah, you don't really know what it's about. Exactly. This is uh, way more personal and grounded. It's like images of your life coming up, images mm. of the people in your life coming up, memories, uh, feelings that you had in specific situations, being like, oh my God, I didn't realize that I felt this way in that situation. Um, so I'll eventually, maybe on the podcast, talk more about the personal stuff. But some of the, the broader philosophical things that came up were – I haven't prepared this at all, so we'll see. Um, a, a, a different sense of love and a deeper understanding of love, which sounds very cliche, and this probably won't make a lot of sense to have people. But I think people often think that love is like a fondness for someone. Like, oh, I want to be with you. And even I think love can get conflated with obsession. You know, I really loved my ex and you knew it because we fought all the time, but then we made up, you know, like you're just drawn to somebody. Uh, this was a, a, a type of love that was based on uh, total, complete acceptance. Uh, seeing the various aspects of myself and other people and like a recognition of like, this is the truth of how they are in this moment. Uh, and and when that recognition is total, there is that warm sense that comes up, but it's not like a fondness first. And then a thinking, for instance, I can give you, I think, my dog. Um, he was one that came up. <laughs> my dog came up a lot. And, uh, you know, I, you would ask me all the time, like, how do you get along with your dog? I, you, like, do you love him? I'm like, dude, he's such a pain in the ass. Like, I fucking hate that dog. And, of course, I'm fond of him and I care about him. Uh, but the fact that I don't accept him came up and like oh he barks that's a problem he wakes me up in the morning that's a problem uh, and one of the things that came back and even the day after he woke me up at seven thirty a.m and 
normally I'm like this, oh, I can go back to bed. Can we do, can we get someone else to take him for a walk? Like, I don't want to get up at this time. Uh, but I was more connected to this sense of acceptance and love. And I took a deep breath and, you know, felt it through me. And I, beca- I felt connected to him. And I felt, I was like, oh, he needs, he has needs. Like, I'm sorry. Like, and I went outside um, with him at 730, which for me is way too early. And then, and I felt myself at every time having a plan. My first plan was go back to bed, you know, mm-hmm. like convince him that he can sleep. My second plan was go outside as quickly as possible, let him pee, then get back inside to go to sleep before you're like really awake. Uh, and as I took breaths and, and felt it, I felt myself being guided by more than my plan. And uh, walking around outside and I was like, all right, I'm going to let this happen. My plan was to get eight hours of sleep. That plan is out the window at this point. There's another plan now and we're going to see how this unfolds. And it wasn't uh, monumental, but we like walked into this ray of sunshine that was perfect and and beautiful. Uh, and we stayed out there for longer than I would have intended. And yeah, there was just a moment of like, this is, this is better. And I, I broke down because at one point I was like, I had the thought of uh, it very metaphorical. The whole thing is very metaphorical. It was, do you want to experience joy or do you want to be asleep? And it was, it was the literal, you know, here's this beautiful piece of sunshine versus you wanted to be asleep. But it was also this metaphorical sense of like, in your life, do you want to experience joy or do you want to be asleep? And my plan, and I think everybody's plan to a degree when you're thinking, you know, with the mind and strategizing, goal setting, it puts you to sleep. And when you release it a little bit, you like have that awakening moment. And I feel it, you know, you can see <laughs> it's still, it's still moving in me. Um, so that was, that was pretty profound for me. I talked to you a little bit about the dopamine cycle and feeling like when I came home, there's things that I normally do when I want to go to bed. Like I'll play video games or I'll talk to someone or I'll masturbate or I'll, you know, you know, call my girlfriend and have sex. Like these, these different things. And I realized that they're all very reflexive. And what underlies all of them is that it's an attempt to get from this moment at like 10.45 p.m. to whenever the moment that I actually can fall asleep is, right? And it's like it's a not now programming. Like get me out of 10.45 p.m. in this moment in my bed. Speed time along. Put me to sleep was, was, is kind of the dopamine cycle. Like let me, let me quickly blaze through enough time such that I can pass out. Uh, and as I realized and I tuned, I was like I don't – that's not – what I want right now. Like I actually don't want to have sex and and there's probably plenty of times where I don't think that I did want to have sex. I just wanted to escape the now. Um, Similarly, like I didn't maybe want to call a friend or I just wanted to escape the now. Uh, And so it was a deeper sense of like for hours, I was just far more present and far more spontaneous in my thoughts. And I was like, now's the time to journal. And I knew it was time to journal. It wasn't a plan that I had and I journaled and then I cried. And then I, you know what I mean? And, uh, and then when it was time for bed, it was time for bed, and I and I knew it. And it wasn't the same sort of uh, scheduled plan that I might intuitive, not intuitively. Intuitive is the opposite word. Uh, program on any given day. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Is this making any yeah, sense? Yeah, yeah. I have all? questions, but I'm letting you roll. And then Go I'll ahead, come ask back questions because I'm because I'm so I have questions I'm, I'm lost in myself. Sure. Right now. So, so sometimes. So, okay, I'll start with the first part. So your dog barks and you just want to accept him for who he is, right? But also you can train your dog to be happy and not bark, at Mm -hmm. which point you'd be happier with your dog. Mm -hmm. So where do you balance accepting something versus (laughs) the fact that you can be proactive, right? You had a job you didn't like. You could have just accepted 
being a consultant. You could have gone, this is life. It's a suit and tie and it's typing numbers I don't care about and I'm going to be at peace with it. Or you could go, I don't like this. I'm going to quit. And so, yeah, how do you balance acceptance, right, with the fact that you can actually make your status quo better? You can quit your job. You Mm -hmm. can train your dog. You can leave an abusive spouse. Sure. And it's not always the best course of action to just accept something unchanged, right? So how do you how do you think about that? Well, so one thing I that I definitely got from this experience is a sense of not being done. Like even at the end of it, there was there was images of my heart and it was uh, wrapped in a steel wire and I was like untethering it, but I didn't get it all the way off. Uh, and so I don't I don't have the answers to this, and I'm mm. very certain that I'm in the middle of something right now. I'll try my best to answer these questions, knowing full well that in a year or a month I might be like that was, that was <laughs> so so not the answer. Um, okay, so take my dog. He barks. What I realized that I do, and this is the other thing, the book that our friend had recommended to us, I'm all over the place, is called Your Dog is Your Mirror, which was huge in this uh, particular experience. And I'm starting to read it, and I'm highlighting it like fucking mad. You might like it as well. Uh, So he barks. My initial reactive way of dealing with it for as long as I've had him has been to label him. There's the good boy and the bad boy, and Mm -hmm. I do this with myself. The good boy follows my plan which is rolls on my belly, comes to me when I tell him to, doesn't bark when the door opens. You know, that is the good boy. This is what is acceptable in my dog. And sure. then there's the bad boy, which is the opposite of all of these things that I don't like. And I, and I say it to him, I was like, you're a bad boy. You're a good boy. You're the, you know, it's back and forth. Extremely conditional love mm-hmm. that I have for him. Conditional acceptance. Uh, bringing it together is to say that when he's barking, he's not a bad boy. He's still a good boy. Mm-hmm. Something needs to be accepted further, which is might be that he needs to pee. It might be that he's nervous and could use exposure training to people, right? As opposed to, but you would still support <clears throat> training out bad behaviors. Uh, I would. It wouldn't be with the strict attempt to adhere to a precognitive, a precognated goal, right? So it's not like here's my idea of the perfect dog. I'm going to train him so that it's this. What it's, if you bit people? Uh, it would be to explore what in him is causing that, right? Mm-hmm. It's like an except, like, okay, this is not a bad dog, right? Yeah. This is not a bad dog, but he is biting people, which is telling me something about, and this, if this book would have you believe that it says a lot about your experience, right? Caesar Milan, one of the interesting things is that he'll take a dog in particular out of the setting with a family, and all of a sudden it stops biting Yeah, people. I'm not saying there's a bad dog. I'm yeah, saying yeah. if you own a dog— or if you have a kid, or if you have a job, any circumstance, and it's not ideal, right? It doesn't have to be a bad job. It can Mm -hmm. just be a bad job for you. It doesn't have to be a bad sold dog, Mm -hmm. but it can be a good hearted dog that does a bad behavior consistently. Yeah. So I think that we've we've mentioned this about acceptance. It's it's a different reference to the time frame. So when people say acceptance in common parlance, what they mean is acceptance now and tomorrow and the day after of the static status quo. Mm-hmm. And that's not necessarily what I think this experience was. In fact, it's a weird thing whereby when you accept, at certainly internally, different parts of yourself, and I went through the bad boy in me and the things that, that I hate about myself, in recognizing, seeing those, validating them, and giving them an internal hug, transformation happens. And it's crazy because it's not directed um but but i and i don't want to talk too much about myself at this point maybe in another podcast but um in 
that would be sort of the answer is like, and I know it's cliched and I think there's probably needs to be some sort of uh, practical worldliness applied to this, but it's when you apply love to something that isn't working, it undergoes a process of transformation whereby it works more smoothly. So like a dog that is biting, for instance, when you apply love, and that doesn't just mean kisses and hugs, that might mean discipline. That might mean, you know, it, what it is, you're not planning it, but in the moment, you, there's there's this higher knowing that kicks in and goes, oh man, this dog needs a stern talking to, or this dog needs this, but it's coming from a place not of, there's an evil part of you that needs to be excised, but mm-hmm. but you need to be addressed in your fullness. And when I do that, when I see you, transformation occurs. Sure, but often that involves training not in the moment, right? When the dog's yeah. not barking. So it, it requires a bit of planning. Absolutely. Right? Well, yes, yes. And I think we kind of talked about this. So the way that I've been running, and I think the way that most people have been running is that top of the hierarchy is the thoughts, the mind, the neocortex, right? Which does the planning. And the tool of that is emotions to check in with mm-hmm. sometimes, right? This would reorient things and put call it the heart the emotional center the mammalian brain whatever at the top of the hierarchy and use the mind and the planning as a tool so in the moment when my dog is barking i take a deep breath i tune into the now i see what he needs and then as a tool it goes oh i can set up let you know because i love him training for him whatever get a different thing sorry my phone's going off this is my mom i have to call her uh so yeah so that so that all that planning still exists, but it becomes a not constant way of being and, and a tool that is used for many situations. Um, but sure. not Because I think we've both seen walking around Santa Monica people that fully accept their dogs and mm-hmm. they're terrible dogs in the mm-hmm. sense that they pull, they bite, well, they, they bark. Well, they don't fully accept in this sense. I know who you're talking about. The woman <laughs> in the black, yeah. the black stroller with the tiny white dog. Exactly. She hasn't accepted the reality of her dog. Which is, you know what I mean? Like she can't. She loves her dog though. She's accepted that he's always a good boy. He's barked. She's never scolds him. He's barking. He's biting other dogs. Oh, it's okay. You're okay, bud. Mm-hmm. No, it's okay. That's that's the tone with which she tries to correct his behavior. And since he doesn't she, understand English, he goes, oh, I'm getting, she, I'm getting love for so this. So one could argue that if she tuned into him emotionally, she would see the amount of pain and stress that that dog is in. And I mean, is that dog feeling calm smooth happy in those moments okay so what so what it sounded like earlier you were saying is to accept that your dog does bark. i would say that woman is in incredible denial about her dog and the the emotional stress that it is in constantly throughout the day and you feel the same about your dog it is a i have seen i'm not i mean it's too soon it's been two days he behaves differently it's not to say that he doesn't bark but you know like sometimes he would father our our assistant around more than me Mm -hmm. he follows me around in two days uh if it used to be 90-10, it's 50-50 now, like her and me. And who, who knows what will happen over time. But, like, she was the one who, you know, I would feed him. She would take him for walks during the day while I was working. And he quickly formed that daytime bond with her. Mm-hmm. Even today, she comes in. He greets her like crazy. I'm, I'm in there. I feel something stir up in me, jealousy, whatever. I move through it. I swear to God, he comes in and he sits down right next to me, which he doesn't do mm-hmm. at bedtime. You know, he likes to hang out on the couch outside. These are all silly anecdotal things. He came in without me having to carry him in last night, and it's been two days, and that hasn't happened in uh, weeks at this point. He likes to – he'd rather be out on the couch. So I do think – and then this is the interesting thing about the book, which I'm not 100% sold on, but I find fascinating, is to say that 
this book believes in your the way that your dog behaves is in a one-to-one relation with the things about yourself that you haven't accepted and so it, it's kind of a complicated mirror that your dog is putting up for you but uh makes them an incredible litmus test for how you're doing emotionally like your dog is the canary in the coal mine of your unaccepted emotional reality uh and it's not to say clearly like so make this concrete what does your dog do and what does it say about you I'll give you a story that this woman told, okay. for instance, which I don't 100% buy. Uh, in the book, somebody's hanging up Christmas ornaments. And then the dog carefully starts grabbing the Christmas ornaments off the tree, and this is not something the dog does, and like carrying them to the middle of the people in the house, like keeps bringing them back. And they'll put them up, and they'll look at the dog and be like, you're not going to do this again, aren't you? And it like carefully, gently grabs the Christmas ornaments and like lays them at their feet. And they can't figure it out. It's a game. It's funny. But like, what is this dog doing? And the suggestion in the book that the person asks her is, uh, it seems to me that when you hung these ornaments, there was an emotional charge because dogs are picking up on this all the time, uh, that you were nostalgic and missing something that these ornaments represented. And what the dog is trying to do is to give that back to you because it sensed that when you were doing this, you were highly emotionally charged and the woman you know broke down and cried and said yeah these were made by my kids i miss them so much it's been 13 years i haven't been around them and the dog is is bringing them to me um another one was a dog that freaks out around kids like comes near children and through the process of kind of talking about you know this dog doesn't have a problem with kids there's something with you going on with children and it's a complicated relationship it, once they dig into it that this woman this woman has with regards to children and that mm-hmm. the dog is picking up on her attraction to and desire to have children but she can't so the dog sees it gets all jacked up like wants to wants to get these kids but there's not enough time you know and then starts freaking out and barking and she even says he's like he's not angry at the kids he's like barking at them or wagging his tail it's just he's just overloaded with energy um so that's the concrete things this, this is a book i'm in chapter two on like i started reading it last night uh, so I remain open to these ideas, though I haven't fully uh, integrated them or thought about them or anything like that. Okay. What were the other questions that you had mentioned? Well, so you said you woke up at 7.30. Yeah. And normally you would want to sleep. Yeah. But your dog woke you up, and so you went out and sunshine, joy over planning, right? Mm-hmm. You also don't have a schedule. Mm-hmm. You can go back to sleep till 11, mm-hmm. right? Is that something someone can follow if they have a nine to five? How do you integrate that if you went to sleep at 3 a.m. and your dog wants to play at 5 a.m. and you have to get up at 8 a.m. to go to work? So it was going to be five hours of sleep if your dog had behaved well. I'll put it in quotes since we're not judging behaviors. But um, yeah, how do you marry that? This is one of the things that I thought about. I was like, he's forcing, if I accept this as a paradigm of how I'm going to behave and and cue into his signals a little bit more. And again, it's it's not that you would never train your dog. Uh, if I, one of the interesting things about the mind is that it can only go one-to-one. And I had the same question. Like, well, now I'm going to be tired today. It's, I can only make that next leap. When you let go a little bit more, assume that something else is steering, you can make slower, but it's almost like light speed leaps. You can go from A to J instead of going A, B, C, D, E, F, G, all the way to J. So for instance, what I eventually, as I just sat down, I was like, breathe into this. You're going to be tired today. What does this mean? It's like, you have to go to bed earlier. You have been meaning to go to bed earlier for three years. You've been talking about the importance of the, mm. of, the of this cycle, and you've never done it. And, and again, here your dog is, and you wouldn't have necessarily made this connection. Maybe he's telling you to, to regulate 
your your body the circadian rhythm of the sun yeah, yeah. instead of staying up till 3 a.m and 7 30 a.m isn't that early and yeah. also couldn't he just be telling you to take him out to go pee at was. 11 p.m he though? was yes and that's the other thing he didn't get to go out until uh what it, like he with the last time he was out was because our assistant wasn't there my brother didn't take him out i didn't take him out he probably went out all at 6 p.m so it was like yeah, he needs more love and attention outside of this isolated yeah, incident. Yeah. Well, was... it's fun. I mean, yeah, it's funny. It's weirdly <laughs> enough, if you had a schedule where you just planned to take your dog out every mm-hmm. day at 11 p.m., then he wouldn't wake you up. So there's there is this weird there's this weird thing where planning versus acceptance, like you can get the same outcome, which is a dog that doesn't need to pee. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And you can do it one but way. That's which not is... what I want, though. The, I, what I want is not a dog that doesn't need to pee. You know what I mean? What I want is to love my dog. Like what I want is is to sure sure I'm just saying so you stay up till three a.m. and at seven thirty four and a half hours in your dog wakes you up right and one takeaway could be I'm up now I'm gonna live my day with four and a half hours of sleep and the other could be I should just set an alarm for eleven p.m. to take my dog out every night Mm -hmm. so that he'll then sleep in with me yeah yeah and then I can sleep till when I want so then I can set the schedule instead of my dog setting the schedule. Instead, yeah, and that's totally possible. And again, I think that follows the uh, the hierarchy of like, if I do, if I just go, my dog is bad. He's being a bad boy. He needs to learn to to deal with this. My answer is tough it out. Whatever you know, hire someone to take him out. Get someone else to take him out. Have mm-hmm. little or no compassion or empathy. Uh, and if it's more tuned in to him, right? It could be planned. It could yeah, be yeah. planned. It could be planned training. It could be planned take him out. It could be planned a lot of different things. Um, but I think that the problem in my life was that planning was paramount and that I assumed that I knew what was best for me. Like I know what's best for me. Eight hours of sleep in these, in these particular block is what's best for me. And this experience, not just my dog is challenging me to be open to the idea that I don't, uh, that going from A to B to C to D is not necessarily what's best for me as I planned out in my own head yeah. at this point in my life. Yeah, yeah. And you can see my paradigm is more like shape <laughs> shape the world around you. Yeah. Like I was feeding my dog at 8 p.m. and it would wake me up every day to go to the bathroom before I wanted to wake up. And I was like, God damn it, what do I do? I'm not getting good sleep. So I started feeding my dog at 10 p.m. And now I sleep in and my dog never wakes me up. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's that's just a small example again, but it is there's this thing of I could have just accepted Oh, my dog always wakes up at 7 a.m. I'll start going to sleep early enough to wake up when she wants to. Or I could have gone, I'll just feed her later so she wakes up when I want to wake up. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, well, so acceptance isn't of um, a circumstance. It's of uh, more of an emotional experience that your dog and or you are having. The, well, yeah, nothing has to be <clears throat> evil. Yeah, yeah. You, you can have a girlfriend or a boyfriend. They're not evil. Mm-hmm. But you don't want to be with them. You can accept that they are good for someone, but not you. So you break up. Mm-hmm. You can accept that a job is right for someone, but not you and break up. You can accept that a person or a dog or whatever is a good being because all beings are good, but th- there's a behavior you don't like. And so you train it away or you filter that person out of your life. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I'm not saying any entity is evil, but I am saying that you can shape behaviors mm-hmm. or get rid of people, not because they're evil, because they behave in a way you don't like. Yeah, so I think I think part of um, the problem for me is that behavior shaping came before acceptance, and not just with my dog, with myself. And I think that leads to an inability to completely love oneself. Got it. Where the where the first order is, how do I change this? Yeah, yeah. As opposed to, you know, tell me the truth. Like, what's going on? Like, there's the ba- I'm, I'm I'm sharing, but it's funny because you were so critical <laughs> of me for loving my dog, even though she would do things that you didn't like. 
Well, well, I mean, we could, we could talk about the specifics of that, but I'm also not convinced that love looks the way that I've always thought that it looked, right? It doesn't necessarily look like doting or, or attention. Um, it, can, it can look a lot of different ways. So I'm, I, don't, I haven't thought about your particular circumstance with, interesting. with your dog. Um, but the, yeah, so, so with myself, one of the things that I was, was sort of going through, um, I haven't thought about this enough to, to put into words. One of the masks that I saw was the uh, strong desire to be a good boy, right? And I, I use those words with my dog. And there was a, a fear that behind the mask of the good boy is the bad boy. And I'm sure this has come from me, you know, from parents who just wanted to shape my behavior. You know what I mean? Like, that's good, that's bad, that's good, that's bad. And it was a sense that uh, that I, I think one, I think there ha there is a way to shape, transform uh, positive pro-social behavior with an underlying love of whomever you're doing it with yeah yeah that's and, well that's my hypothesis yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and it starts with uh a slowing down and in and a having not the first for me the first instinct to be how can i fix this change this and the first instinct instead to be how can i sit with this understand this and then later can be like you know how can we begin to to move this does that make sense sure yeah uh because i think as i was peeling back my psyche uh one of the things that happens when you do it the other way is that I assumed that behind this mask of the good boy must be the bad boy, must be these horrible things about myself. And I think it's part, you know, we've talked about the comments. One of the things that can, why do comments stick to certain people? Why do certain things stick? I think it's because you assume that at some level they must have tapped into something. And oftentimes this comes from, from childhood, right? Uh, and so for me, having the courage to go, I accept anything, which I didn't totally get to. I accept everything about myself. You can show me what's behind the mask. You'll often find one. It's not vile. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You thought that it was horrible and vile. Uh, and two, that that when you do that, the, the whole mask dynamic begins to shift because you've accepted it. Uh, and you can address some of the things that might not have been good behaviors in you or your dog or the other thing in a more productive way. Does that make sense? Sure. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean... I tons 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 was came from it i still haven't talked to uh the woman with whom i did it but we'll see what comes of it i'm super stoked on it for charisma on command i want to sell this stuff <laughs> wait for it to pass through out of the fda yeah, a year or two anything else on that i mean i don't know if you had anything no no what did you bring i got nothing <laughs> i got a lot of stuff let's see Oh, so this is interesting. So last week we talked about what makes an adult, right? We talked about porn. We talked about the army. We talked about tattoos, drinking, these things that are age dependent, right? Well, I found a weird article that really highlights how we are confused about what makes an adult. Mm -hmm. There was a 17-year-old who was charged as having child pornography because he had a nude of himself, yeah. which he had sent his girlfriend. He's 17. He has child pornography. Simultaneously, he was charged as an adult. And not a minor, <laughs> because sometimes when you're 17, yeah, they can, yeah, yeah. you know, did, if, come on, if you is just swear real? to God, I swear to God in the USA, in the USA, this is the strangest. Yep, dude. And it was in 2015, I think it was. Oh, okay. And so he's 17 being charged as an adult for having child pornography because it's a picture of himself, Yeah, yeah. which is just ridiculous and really shows that we, we have absolutely no philosophically sound idea of what makes an adult. I wonder because the da has 
latitude in terms of what they charge one with. Yeah, they went after him. I'd love to know the details of this and why. Was somebody trying to make a career? Was this person like were they was this like a, a mob thing where this person was just like a repeat predator and they had nothing to get him on and they're like, This is this is how we gotta get Al Capone in jail. It's gotta be on racketeering charges, you know? We know he's killed people, but we gotta get him for this. I have no idea. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think so, because the charges were ultimately dropped. Okay. They didn't even go through the full trial. But he had a year of probation because of it and he had to get benched from his football team. So he's 17 years old. He's a he senior. Did he have to like, sign up as a sex predator or anything? That would be so... I don't think so because the charges were dropped. But he yeah, was yeah, going yeah. to have to if he had been found guilty. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So you're like, oh, okay, charges are dropped. No big deal. But he had a year of probation and he couldn't play football because mm-hmm. he had a photo of himself on his phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fascinating. <laughs> I mean, yeah. And all for a kid that can't buy cigarettes. Can't, you know, he just got just able to get into an R-rated movie. Yeah. It's a... It's a yeah, it's one of those things where we try to we draw this arbitrary line at 17, 364 days, 23 hours, 59th, boom. Like, all of a sudden, that photo, A-OK. Totally cool. Feel free to sell it online. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, do whatever you want with it. Prior to that, now you're, you're a— Now you're a criminal. Yeah, you're a criminal and a pedophile. So, yeah, I thought, <laughs> I thought the circumstances were just so perfect, too, for highlighting what makes an adult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I agree. So that's one. Totally, totally different. I have a clip for you, Justin, if you would, please. You guys want to put on your headphones? Sure. So play. Oh. It's a quick clip. It's like five seconds or less. Hit me. Turns out, though, Jaden wasn't wasting his time after all because he's just won nearly a million pounds. We have got your little present. Because uh, it's summer holidays, this is to help your mum. There's an outward adventure centre near where you live, and that's for you and your family to go outside uh, over the <laughs> oh, summer holidays. In the real world. In the real world. So, okay, pause it. So, I should have given context. I didn't realise there wasn't context here. Yeah. This kid won a Fortnite tournament. Oh. <laughs> he, won, he won a million pounds. He goes on the news, and the woman, who definitely doesn't make a million pounds a year, is so patronizing to him. To the real I, you can world. go outside to the real <laughs> world. It's like, could you imagine a football player, like an American football player or a European football player, sitting there having just won a million dollars for their talents? Yeah. Someone was like, "You've been practicing too much. Here's something so you can stop doing your sport." Yeah, yeah, it's like, yeah. wow, you guys are so insanely disconnected. It's wild. And yeah. I, I saw it, and I used to be like that. For the record, I was like pro gaming. That's stupid. Yeah. And then I realized that there are video game events that get more viewers than the Super Bowl. And it just highlighted to me that people, it is almost impossible not to be disconnected from reality as you get older. Because you're just missing trends. You don't get it. You're on the news mocking a kid who's just made a million dollars playing video games and you think it's stupid. Well, the other thing is like you're sitting in a room that's half a room. There's cardboard there's there's two by four construction outside where the camera can see on your set. Yeah. And you're telling me about the real world. Yeah, that's what like I was thinking too. This room isn't a full room. It it is half a room sliced in half. There's black floors everywhere else. This is so artificial. And it's and if you want to talk about artificiality, sure. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Fortnite is contrived, but like what are we doing well here? your whole job too i mean and no <laughs> knock i mean this is the same for for us on youtube it's yeah, the same yeah. for a lot of things like you're there's lights here you're this not is... planning you're not out there planting trees for a living like your job is to entertain people or educate people you're all wearing makeup yeah like you've gotten up at 5 a.m to read a teleprompter and with fake enthusiasm about like it's all it's all 
fake. Yeah. No, I thought it was great. And it also, it highlights the same thing that the, that the Trump election highlighted to me uh, in 2016, which is if you don't understand something before you say it's stupid, for the love of God, dig into what could be another explanation besides this is stupid, mm-hmm. right? So like Trump wins and everyone goes, the country is racist and full of morons. It's like, okay, if that weren't allowed to be the case, how would you explain this? Yeah. Would it have to do with other presidents maybe not addressing the concerns of middle America? Yeah. Like, how would you do this without saying the word dumb? Mm-hmm. And for this, it's like, let's pretend this guy didn't just win a million pounds because the world is stupid. Mm-hmm. How could you justify this? Oh, this is the cutting edge of new entertainment. And we had the gladiators, we have movie stars, we have pro athletes, mm-hmm. and now we have pro video gamers. Like, it's actually makes total sense if you bite your tongue from your first instinct, which is to go, I don't get this. It's dumb. Yeah, yeah. Which is, I mean, and all sports are like such narrow, not all, some sports actually try to open it up to cathlons, things like that. But uh, take baseball. Like what an, what an artificial limitation of physical capacity. Yeah. I mean, you've seen some of the best pitchers of all time. Like they're not athletes that would dominate in any other sport. Yeah. Uh, you can't imagine one of them winning the Cy Young and then sitting here and be like, now instead of throwing that goofy ball around, you'll yeah. have to go into the real world. It's like this guy's been in an indoor facility. Like it's 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 I guess everybody has these things in their life that separate them from nature. And I think there's a great point for everybody, reporters, athletes, Fortnite players, accountants, YouTubers, investment accounts, bankers. investment bankers, go outside, far away from stuff into nature. There's value to that. Yeah, but if he <laughs> practices, if he practices eight hours a day, yeah. he just has a job. Yeah, same as every other person who has an indoor job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think the there's what's interesting is that you mentioned Trump, Justin Bieber, Trump. Name your popular phenomena. Fortnite. Uh, when when you take the easy criticism, which is this is stupid, uh, that generation is dumb, even talking about boomers, right? Our, our generation, and I guess younger, even talks about old people, like they're just this group of idiots that are out of touch. And maybe we've, you know, we're a little bit guilty of that here. Like, if you assume that they're not dumb, what's going on with them that makes them that way? And it's like, yeah, you, you live in a, a, a world that is a certain way, and this is the totality of the world, and then there's this little kid over here. It's like, he's in outer space, right? And that's the world. And so here we are in our world, which is a little bit different than theirs, which you don't realize is that there's just a million other different perspectives. And to give the best criticism possible of Fortnite, which I'm sure there are plenty, uh, you would do better to understand it, investigate it more deeply, and then you could find what I'm sure is like a really useful, valuable criticism that could impact people's lives instead of just being like, you goofballs don't go outside. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it's just so, it's so hilarious. It's just how condescending she is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I got I went deep in this wormhole. I didn't I wouldn't didn't think it would be worth it to show other clips. But there's people talking about why on earth would anyone want to watch someone play video games? And the person talking is an ex-professional athlete on ESPN. It's like, sir, your millions were all made because instead of someone playing football, they decided to watch you play football. And now your criticism is that somebody would rather watch someone excellent play a video game than play it at a lower level. Mm -hmm. This is weirdly dead on point. It wasn't it's not a random person saying it. It's an ex pro athlete saying it. It's like for the exact same reason you had a career is the Mm -hmm. answer, sir. And I just thought that was fascinating, too. So what is the principle here to apply to ourselves? Because we're applying a principle to them, which is uh, if you don't understand something. I think that's the principle. If yeah. you if you find yourself mocking something or saying something is stupid, 
and it's popular, pause okay, so and go. Okay, so let's try this. We're mocking old people who think young people are stupid. That's not popular. That's very popular amongst old people. You just said you. No, I'm saying old people aren't popular. <laughs> oh, but, but I'm saying there's there's a large group. It's not a there's... phenomenon. Fortnite's a phenomenon. Justin Bieber's a phenomenon. Trump's a phenomenon. Right. The older generation saying that the younger generation doesn't get it is a phenomenon. It has been for a long time, right? So if that's that, maybe we don't understand what's going on there. Right? I think I do. I can have empathy for them, which is that they're the world has passed them by in the same way TikTok has passed me by. Mm-hmm. But I would say instead of mocking TikTok, I should just accept that TikTok is a thing that I don't understand, but mm-hmm. that has value. And the reason I know it has value is because a billion people have opted to spend their time on it. Sure. You know what I'm saying? Well, so let's, of, let's play this game. A billion people, and I know that you're talking about TikTok, but there's say there's millions and millions of Zoomers, Boomers, whatever they're called, that mock uh, young people. Uh, they're not all stupid. They must have seen that their parents did the same thing. Why? What's going on that makes this such a compelling human urge? You know what I mean? Because they're not stu- that woman is not stupid, right? I just think they don't get it mm-hmm. because they didn't grow up with it. They don't understand it. Mm-hmm. And I think I think that's it at its core. When you don't understand something, uh, sometimes it's easier to make fun of it than to try to understand it. So let me. I'm pausing. We're kind of making fun of these people. Right? Well, I do understand, <laughs> but I'm saying I do understand. I'm sure that you understand them because she thinks that she understands Fortnite. I'm just saying. I am sure. I am sure. She she has not thought through why did this person make a million dollars. Have we? Okay, and you think that we have sufficiently thought through why she is making fun of the person who has made him? I don't know. I, I'm pretty confident that any time that the older generation doesn't understand something, it's because they didn't grow up with it. Mm-hmm. You know, my grandma didn't grow up with phones, so she doesn't know how to text. It's not because she's dumb. It's because she didn't grow up with it. Mm-hmm. This person didn't grow up with video games. Mm-hmm. I didn't grow up with TikTok. Yeah. I, I feel like it's a pretty... I feel like it's a pretty self-explanatory phenomenon. Actually. Sure, sure. So I guess what I'm just saying is we didn't grow up... This is going to have some negatives without video games, which makes it tough for us to understand someone like that. But perhaps th- what you're saying, well, you can just look, just look further young. Just mm-hmm. th- th- that's TikTok. Mm-hmm. Her, her Fortnite is my TikTok. So I'm just, yeah. So what I'm driving is, yeah. What's the lesson for us? The lesson, what, the lesson is, where's my blind spot? Where's don't your blind mock spot? people who like TikTok. So that's what, the lesson. Okay, so so that's you're saying you have an urge to knock TikTok that just arises in you because you don't understand because you don't understand it. You go, it's stupid. Yeah. It's stupid. People who use it are stupid. People who are making millions of dollars on TikTok are stupid. That's the urge. Got it. And what you do is you go, let's assume it's not. Mm-hmm. Let's assume I just don't get it. Got it. That's the lesson. Is there anything else? Because I think I think what's valuable is not just knowing the principle of which this woman, I'm almost positive, would agree. You right? If you mm-hmm. said it, what she would have a hard time with is now do this to Fortnite. She'd go, I can't. Yeah. You know, like. And so we tried it with TikTok. I'm just curious. Is there anything else that we don't get? That is uh, the only thing I know that younger generations do is TikTok. Yeah, I don't know what else. What else is there? What's out there and popular? That's younger. Video games are popular. TikTok is popular. Justin, you're younger than us. You got anything else? <laughs> what's what's cool? What are 13 year olds super hyped on? Uh, social media. PewDiePie. PewDiePie. <laughs> well, I I don't think PewDiePie is stupid. <laughs> All right, so maybe we're not old enough to be totally. No, we are. I mean, it's TikTok. It's yeah, TikTok. TikTok is a thing for us. We've all we. I've been in a room with people who tried to open it and didn't get it, and it's yeah. just too much and it's too fast. Yeah. And I think the lesson is just go. Just don't say it's stupid. Mm-hmm. Don't don't degrade the people who like it. Got it. Just say I don't get it. Mm-hmm. You know, make what, make it a misunderstanding on your part instead of a a takedown of the thing and the people who like it. And when somebody starts making one million, ten million, a hundred million dollars off TikTok, don't pull your hair and be like, I should have done that. Like, oh man, I could have been it's like no, recognize that that person rose to the top of a billion people yeah. with some level of talent that is akin to 
Conor McGregor yeah, yeah. of TikTok, right? This is how I feel about the yeah, Paul yeah. brothers. I don't mm-hmm. watch their content. Yeah. I'm not a fan of the Paul brothers content. But when people say they're stupid, I think that that's just a, a whiff, you mm-hmm. know, because there's tons of people trying to make content. People go, they're dumb. And the reason they're successful is because their they audience pander. is 12 year olds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I promise you there's 10,000 people yeah. trying to get the eyeballs of 10 year olds on YouTube. They're the number one at it. Mm-hmm. Like that's because they're excellent at making whatever they're making. Mm-hmm. And the fact that I don't watch it I don't know what it's about. Doesn't mean that they're idiots, and it doesn't mean that their fans are idiots. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yep. So yeah, that's. I mean, that's that's where you apply it. Is you don't you don't uh, try to insult or bring down the people who are more successful than you who you don't understand, and that can be applicable too in work. You think you're smarter than your coworker who keeps getting promotions, and you don't. Is it because he's an idiot and the life and life's unfair, or is it because he's realized that there's more to promotions than? the output of work you know maybe he's put the time into making relationships with people mm-hmm. so i think there i think there's even more ways so that you could benefit your own life if you go that guy's getting all of these people to want to date him and i'm a better person than him like this is stupid and unfair yeah, yeah, yeah. okay well pr- what if the answer wasn't that the world is stupid and unfair what is that person doing mm-hmm. that's getting him results that you want mm-hmm. you know what i mean tiktok's not stupid the people that want to date that guy are not stupid mm-hmm this person getting a promotion, let's pretend it's not because the whole world is stupid. How would you have to explain this if you weren't allowed to say that? Mm-hmm. And I think by doing that exercise, you could realize, oh, it's because I don't go to these optional events and make relationships with my bosses. Or you could go, oh, it's because I don't tell funny jokes. I think the whole world's about me getting A's yeah, yeah. and that's not what's attractive. So yeah, I think I actually think it's applicable to anyone's life if they are jealous of other people or if they see other people getting success and they wish they had it but their inclination is to say it's because of a broken system or because things are stupid. Yeah. You get what I'm saying? Yep. Have you watched any of the Democratic primaries or the debates no. or anything? I would just be because I haven't either. I would be curious if you feel like the Democratic Party has incorporated that learning from 2016. I don't know. I haven't really watched it. I know that there was a period of time where it sounded like the rhetoric was uh, Donald Trump bad trump voters racist you know what i mean and it's like you will never win yeah, yeah that's <laughs> you will never win <laughs> if you yeah if you if the guy i mean let's put it this way if the guy won because a certain percentage of the population voted for him and you're and you're running i'm not saying they are on the premise that everyone that voted for him is stupid or deceived you're gonna or, ostracize yeah, 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 yeah. everyone that voted for him and all he needs to do to win is just get the exact same people to vote for him so actually you need to figure out how to persuade them to come to your side not make them feel like you think they're if you're, idiots yeah. you know and then they're actually weirdly and it's in not a even presidential make them think though because like cause you're, you say you're saying this but just to reiterate it's like it's not trick them into thinking that you don't think they're idiots it's to really accept believe that, yeah, that be bernie, not. be bernie sanders and go <laughs> hillary didn't lose because those people are dumb yeah okay given that how do i not make the mistakes mm-hmm. that hillary made mm-hmm. yeah exactly so I don't, Weirdly, know if, though, I don't know as, if that's happening. As a president, there is one thing that skews it, which is voter turnout. Weirdly, yeah. Trump could have all the exact same people vote for him. And if somehow the Democrats just got every non-voter to vote for them, they could win. So actually, technically, I guess you could just insult the entire voting population. Well, one would assume that the voting population is at least somewhat representative of the population as a whole, given that it makes up, what, roughly half of the people. Yeah, yeah. But, I, but I'm just saying, just so people don't get in the comments being like, that's not true. Like, I think what Obama did was he just got a bunch of people to turn up to vote mm-hmm. that liked him. I don't know that he necessarily went across the party line. I don't know that he got Republicans to vote for him. Well, I think what you could safely say is that he didn't treat as 
obviously in a way that I can recall, a section of the population as lost, uh, stupid, yeah. idiotic, you know what I mean? Like, um, and unable to understand or see that he would be a, a good choice for them. Now, he, I'm sure he accepted that probably there was people in certain states that were very unlikely to flip, but he didn't go, that's because they're dumb. Right. You know, like, and, and to the degree to which he did that, he probably would have not done nearly as well. Yeah, watched, funny enough, I don't remember Obama blaming racist voters ever. No. Which is hilarious because he's black, and yeah. so you'd think that he would be the person most hurt by racist voters. Mm -hmm. And then you have white candidates who are, oh, these people are racist. Yeah. Like, well, it didn't didn't stop Barack from winning, so I don't know. Maybe get a different tactic. I watched uh, – it popped up Comedians in Cars with him and Jerry Seinfeld. That dude, Barack, he's got – he's so charismatic, yeah. man. He's a freaking G. He's He owns – and I don't know if this happened as much before he became elected or if the power of president just got completely deeply internalized in his way of being. Well, I think he won because he was charismatic. So he had it, he had it even then, certainly. Uh, but by the time he's president and doing comedians in cars and he's on his second term and they're hanging out, it's, he's just the coolest dude yeah. ever. Like, he, he is so laid back, slow, funny. Uh, you want him to like you. Like, he's he's got it. It's a bummer that he doesn't do more interviews because I'd like to do more breakdowns of him. He's, did you see the Letterman one? He does like a full yeah, hour. He did an hour in Letterman after, yeah. Yeah, after the end of could be a good breakdown in there. He unfortunately, I mean, we did The Witcher today. It, we yeah. kind of try to follow. He'll these never trend again. Yeah. I mean, I've already done a Barack Obama. Is is the truth, and it's one of our lowest performing breakdowns that yeah. we've ever had. So it's a bummer that he's not. I need him to write a book or go on tour or something. Doesn't seem interested though. Well, I'll I'll a I'll a plus transition this and yeah. talk about another one of our great breakdowns, Ellen DeGeneres. I don't know why YouTube decided to feed me this. Maybe because I watched our comedy video, mm. but uh, I got down the rabbit hole of when ellen came out as gay mm -hmm. they showed me the video on oprah have you seen this it's been a while but i have yeah so it's 1997 it doesn't seem like it was that long ago ellen was a successful tv star and a comedian and she came out as gay and it was a huge deal which is fascinating because now no one cares at all right she lost her job. She got death threats. They sh they canceled she her. her job? She canceled. They canceled her show. No. Yes, they canceled her she show. Came out on her show. I thought like she had. She did the character. Show. The character came out as yeah. gay, and Ellen came out as gay, and that was the last season of that show. She lost. She her show was canceled. She lost her job. She received death threats. She only did three interviews about this. By the way, Elton John, who is gay, comes out and says, "Stop talking about your sexuality and start being funny." Like the same way that people were telling LeBron, shut up and dribble. Oprah had Ellen on the show, right? Where she gives her a platform to talk about being gay. Oprah starts getting death threats and all this hate mail saying like, go back to Africa. It was just this thing. I didn't realize how massive of a thing that was mm -hmm. at the time. That that it would incite people to so much rage. Ellen said she would walk down the street and people would, would cuss at her, threaten violence at her. It's, it's just remarkable that she was, I guess, brave enough to do it. And how it's a complete non-issue now. No yeah. one cares at all. One thing that I – this is a detail, but I'm just curious. Was her show – this is kind of the Elton John question. Was her show canceled because she was gay or because it wasn't funny? Gay. Are you, are, and that's, that's at least her take on it? Or was that the, that was the official statement? I mean the – yeah. the new, I don't know if they made an official statement, but the newspapers were saying things like, you know, show gets canceled and we all know why. Was like the headline. Yeah, but you could imagine that coming out today and being like, "Nobody, sure. you're rating." Well, listen, I'm not in. I'm not in NBC. <laughs> sure, sure. But I, I, I believe the death threats. I actually, for whatever reason, uh, 
suspect that the show's ratings were declining and that they didn't can it because I haven't looked well, at Well, I think it. what happened was people didn't want to watch it because she came out as gay. She has fans of hers are on Oprah crying, mm-hmm. saying, why couldn't you just keep this to yourself? Really? We all do. Yeah. We all do bad things. <laughs> why couldn't you just keep this to yourself? Interesting. In tears, hysterics, fans of hers. Yeah, maybe I'm just having a hard time remembering. I think you. I think that's the thing. That's time. That's what's shocking. Yeah, I think it's hard for you to realize how big a deal it was, mm-hmm. how upset people were. Yeah, it's interesting to see. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, I. I. I what was I? Ten years old. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember being gay in elementary school. Was nobody at, like at that age? Maybe somebody suspected they were gay, but there was nobody who was acting on being gay at ten years old. But it was like the worst thing that you could be called. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> was gay, and it was also the most common thing that you could be called at that age. Was you know anything that you did that was uh, insultable? That was that was the insult that sure. was thrown at that point in time. So yeah, I, I guess I don't know how it was like in the adult world at that point. Uh, all right. That's what I'm saying. It was shocking. I'm I was shocked as someone who wasn't really around, you know, as an adult at that period. Mm-hmm. What a huge deal it was! Just how upsetting it was to people yeah i guess weirdly enough my age has corresponded to perhaps the societal shift it's mm-hmm. like yeah you can't be gay in elementary school you know probably you know don't be gay in middle school it's really bad in middle school and then high school by the end of high school no like, no still someone someone was, end, someone I, was spreading rumors our friend who is gay yeah was not out of the closet and mm-hmm. someone was spreading rumors that he was gay yes and i remember at the time well-intentionedly saying you you have to stop that's mm. not true, and it's going to hurt yeah. him. It's going to hurt Tenth, his feelings. 10th, 11th grade, yeah. And then I, I guess maybe I'm wrong, but by the time we graduated, it was like more accepting, and certainly by college. You don't think so? No, because I had a friend that came out as gay sophomore year of college mm. in 2007, and he was terrified that his fraternity was going to kick him out, that his friends wouldn't like him. But what happened? Well, he ended up being okay, but he was still, but he was still incredibly scared of so it, I which he, I think people don't have now. Yes, I think, and I think in his case, likely what was happening was he was remembering the truth of his middle school experience, which is like this is terrible. But I do remember when our friend came out, nobody really. It was not a struggle for anyone to not care. That we're was, we're from was, Philadelphia. Sure, that was freshman year of college for us. Yeah, so we're from Philadelphia. It's just, I guess that's yeah. Our age has kind of evolved almost similar as as we've matured it sounds like society's perspective sure. on this has matured and i've talked about this i don't remember where i read it so take it with a grain of salt but i read something along the lines of like homophobia is basically non-existent in people under 30 mm-hmm. or i guess being opposed to gay marriage no matter where you live people even if people think homosexuality is weird or bad they seem to the the vast majority of the population under 30 seems to just go marry whoever you want I do have some, uh, and I feel I definitely feel that way. I, I, as I think about it, have some empathy for people who are older, who grew up in a world called fifty years, where this was a cardinal sin. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? An un, unquestioned evil thing to do, and then in the span of twenty years, be told you were completely wrong <laughs> for yeah, that yeah. entire time, and uh, it's a homophobic bad thing to be. Like that's a that's a huge adjustment to ask of someone well, age forty, fifty. If 60. you're gonna say it's a cardinal sin. <laughs> And you're going to be upset about it because it's in the Bible. Yeah. You better not have had premarital sex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because at that point, I call I call it hypocrisy on your homophobia. Well, well, I guess <laughs> what what this illustrates is that morals don't come from in biblical injunctives. They come from societal. Uh, what is it when everybody just agrees on the same thing? That's, yeah. There's a word that I forget. <laughs> the zeitgeist. Uh, consensus. Consensus. Zeitgeist. Sure. Uh, and so yeah, to have societal consensus be so firmly, you're like, yep. I, I agree i agree and then to close your eyes wake up and have it be over here it's like wait what yeah, yeah. <laughs> like how did that happen and i think uh has a class of people 
ever ever being thought of as bad stuck i almost think the rules just assume that no class of people is bad right because like at first it's it's people of color and then oh okay well turns out we were wrong on that they're actually equal and then it's okay men versus women and go well it actually turns out that they were equal well but gay is bad no it turns out they're equal nazis uh well equal unequal well i think what well what's yeah, the I, I think what people will learn is that nazis were a lot like them the majority of nazis and i'm not saying the hitlers and the and the garbles and the guys oh who sorry do you mean nazis in america or do you mean german Nazis? i mean german nazis i agree with that yeah i think just the guys that were in the army doing their job which was awful like I sure think, if, i mean if yeah. they had won they yeah. would be heroes right yeah. but they lost and so i'm sure many of them didn't know what was going on in the concentration camps and also if you do you're in a spot of like you mutiny get put down to put to death like communists run away yeah. yeah and we kind of evolved i don't know how many people have but there was a sense that commies were you know terrible well i think i mean i, I think you can say the ideals the ideology of nazi germany is bad mm-hmm. without saying every person that served in the german army at that time is bad because yeah, yeah. the most the thing that the most the most salient trait of people in the german army in world war ii was that they were born in germany yeah yeah, yeah. you know what i'm saying it wasn't that they were evil um they're just on the wrong side of history and their government went bad <laughs> they were men who were from the ages of 18 to 35 yeah. who no, exactly. to germany yeah so no i mean i think that's that's how i feel at least well i think you mentioned it the part of the problem is that uh everyone i would say uh probably for a large portion of morality if not all of it agrees with your statement uh all people deserve to be treated with respect and dignity and then they just draw the line around what constitutes a person, a person. sure uh, and I think that's kind of what is we've talked about this. I think that's what's happening with animals now. Mm-hmm. They're they're separate right now. In the same way that 300 years ago, not people are gonna, <laughs> I can't say the same way. In a similar analogous way to uh, to excluding women from the people who counted as people or blacks. From the well, it was who the same. That was the justification at the, the time. Exactly. People would say, "Oh no, those slaves are aren't animals. slaves aren't people. Slaves are animals. These it's are like animals. having a, a horse pull your thing." Exactly. That was the justification. And I think what we're going to wake up to in the next fifty, I don't know how many years, maybe faster. Now I get, well, I give it a hundred. Actually, you think so? Yeah, I think it tends. So I think slavery ended right around the advent of the cotton gin. Mm-hmm. I actually think slaughterhouses and um, you know, like mistreatment of of animals in factory farming, is gonna look it get look. It, it, it's gonna get looked down upon right around when there's an economically sound alternative to that. So when you can do you lab grown hundred years, I feel like we're closer than than that. We got lab grown meat. It's just expensive. Okay, I don't know what the time frame, but I, I think that right around the time lab grown meat or pasture raising animals mm-hmm. or only having wild hunts for meat yeah. right around the time all of that becomes economically viable there will suddenly be a shift of consciousness where people go slaughterhouses are bad yeah 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 animals now count as people and you can still eat them I'm gray area you go out with a bow or a gun and yeah. you shoot an animal and you eat it i'm not here to tell you that's good or bad um i think the obvious one is the, is the slaughterhouses mm-hmm. so yeah, I think I think that that is going to happen as soon as there's a economically uh, equivalently cheap alternative to slaughtering them in really terrible living conditions. Yeah. And so it seems like what will happen is just as our technology enables us to live comfortably with less and less exploitation of first it was each other and then it was yeah. like exploiting your family, then the neighboring tribe, then uh, just the black people, then just the animals, and like as we as technology enables us to live with abundance without exploitation, our morality will 
trail just behind that yeah, yeah. <laughs> and be like, oh, we need to be kind to all the animals, you know, not just the cows and the pigs, but also the, the insects and the snakes yeah, yeah. and the this. And then, you know what? Why don't plants count too? Mother nature. And <laughs> you're going to see, uh, you know, what all the spiritual people talk about, this global consciousness now whereby every rock, mineral, and insect counts in a way that is completely unfathomable to someone yeah. now because like, well, how am I going to live if I can't? destroy something <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. you know what's interesting this is a bit of a tangent you know what's interesting about uh being against gay people gay people are great for the world mm -hmm. they can't procreate but they might adopt mm -hmm. so in a world where population growth is a real concern they take themselves out of the realm of getting someone pregnant and instead they take care of a child who isn't being taken care of mm -hmm. We'd probably be weirdly better off if, like, instead of 10% of the population being gay, we had 20%. Well, there's that's the question is if you assume that evolution at – of course, there's mutations, but 10% is uh, a reliable 8 to 10%. That's a huge thing. That's, that's something that goes beyond just, oh, this was an evolutionary mistake. It seems that gay people uh, are at that amount of a given population an advantage, and it might be for those sorts of things, for, for being uh, – non-baby generating caretakers it might be the other thing is that they're on average i think their iqs tend to be higher really uh, yeah i, believe I never so. heard that i believe so um uh that might that might be incorrect you'd have to fact check me. do you know any other groups that have a higher iq on average than Gosh, other groups Knazi, geez, right? oh is it that's, that's fun <laughs> oh who knew that um and that which which also is another question is like how much of that is cultural and how much of that is biological right so you, you because I, IQ is IQ is not as fixed as people treat it to be. You can you can study for an IQ test. I know I was bit my mind points. my mind was blown when I found yeah. that out. You can study for an IQ test. Yep, seems and, seems to defeat the purpose. Sure, and and uh, which which you know are Ashkenazi Jews smarter because they grew up in some or they evolved in some sort of particular climate or whatever, or is it because culturally over the last whatever hundred years that's just you know education and learning is yeah. Better. Well, forget so forgetting the whole population, but at, I I believe that part of the IQ test is doing math. My mom, when I was growing up, used to play math games with me. Is it Ashkenazi Jews? I don't want to get that wrong. Is it? Is it a different? I think so. Okay. But who knows what that impact had on my IQ test, right? And then once they figure out their IQ, they decide if they're going to put you in gifted classes or yeah, not. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you're being told that you're gifted. So now you think of yourself as smart. So that that's actually a thing they've done tests on. Your identity determines how well you do in school. And then once you start to get good grades, it's like this weird virtuous cycle. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting how much... How much of that was just because my mom used to make me uh, do math while we were driving? Like, a pizza has eight slices. If I eat half, how many are left? And I was like four or five years old in the car being like, four. Yeah. That might have that might have been why I scored well in the IQ test. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, it's certainly. I she mean, was accidentally training me for it. It seems like it would have been easy to destroy your performance on the IQ test if that were someone's goal. Like, keep oh, yeah. This, just hit me keep, in the head. You, well, be, be, <laughs> don't abuse this child. Keep them alive, but make them perform bad. It's just like, oh, that's not that hard. You know what I mean? Like, no, no. Just make them watch cartoons. Criticize them whenever they do something. Uh, you know, you, what are you, a know-it-all? Like, you could destroy some, yeah, somebody's yeah. performance for or not even just ask yeah. the pizza question what if i eat half how many <laughs> and then before you eh, too slow <laughs> yeah, dumb yeah, yeah. you're dumb you're never gonna amount to anything yeah, yeah. smart kid would have gotten that already now i'm just sitting there going i'm dumb yeah so uh who knows if if those whatever the gay thing is i believe it's true i heard milo yiannopoulos say it. i don't know if that's the case i have no idea i've not heard that before yeah well in any event what else you got this is a random one i'm curious if you think that this is good or bad or that other countries should change. I'm all over the place, by the way. Singapore organ donor law. That's what we're going to talk uh, about. I heard this. So in countries such as Austria, 
the laws make organ donation the default option at the time of death. And so people explicitly have to opt, opt out. out, right? In those opt-out countries, 90% of people are registered organ donors. In the U.S., where you have to opt in, 15% of people are organ donors. So that's one thing that I think is just accepted across the board is when people opt in versus default. opt out. Yeah. Singapore has gone a step further. Have you heard about this? Yes. If you are not an organ donor and you get in an accident where you need organs, you are made lower priority than someone who has volunteered to donate their organs. I don't see why that doesn't make perfect sense. <laughs> it's just fascinating. I've never yeah, heard of it before. Yeah. You're, you're saying if you're not willing to give your organs up in the state of you're dying, you're yeah. dead, and someone else needs them, then you don't get them. It seems I'd, I'd like to hear an argument to the contrary, but I heard that. I was like, this is... Like you look, you're worried that they're going to harvest your organs before necessary. You have a religious belief about this. Totally, utterly acceptable and cool. You don't get to you don't get to eat the pizza without contributing to. Yeah, the yeah. Pie. If you think if you think I don't know <laughs> like, if there, I don't know that there is a religion that thinks this, but let's say you think that organ donation is wrong for religious reasons. You would think that organ receiving would be wrong for the same religious reasons. Well, yeah, well certainly you profiting off of somebody else's sin. Exactly, case, exactly, like, yeah. Would be... No, no, I think it's fair. I thought I just think it's interesting. No, I think it's how we it's it's almost like if you set up a system whereby uh yeah, it's it's like everybody agrees that if if this random dice roll hits them that uh they'll either have to put into a pot or take out of a pot, mm -hmm. right? And the certain people agree, yeah, I'll put in. And then everybody goes, "Well, I will, I'm I'm down to take out." Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like it's it's kind of crazy that that's not I'll the take case. some organs, please. Yeah. Will you give organs? No. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of crazy. It's what's I mean, there's that little fable. What is it? Is it the little red hen who will help me eat who will help me you know yeah, yeah. Who, will... who will be prepared well who will help me eat it <laughs> like, everyone yeah everybody shows up so i heard that i was like this makes a ton of sense and i'm and i'm sure there's other places in our government that this uh is appropriate now that's not to say that i i desire a one-to-one -one input output for anything for instance taxes i don't think it's appropriate that it's like well, you pay a hundred and you get a hundred. You know well, yeah, then I mean? there, like, that would be the, no point in taxes at that point. Exactly, but I'm under the impression that we all have we all have you know one heart, two kidneys, or relatively close to these numbers. Right? Sure, you're saying <laughs> like, if everybody made the same income and had the same net worth, that we should all pay the same taxes. Yeah, and we all have the <laughs> yeah, same yeah, income yeah. and net worth when it comes to organs. Yes, yes, in, and unless for some reason like uh, you're you're especially susceptible to some horrible organ donation thing happening, then you can be exempted. But sure, I mean, if you had already given up a kidney, no one would ever have you. <laughs> well, donate that's not, your that's not even what an organ donor is. It's when you die. Yeah, it's yeah. when you die. And the concern of a lot of people is either religious or that they're going to take my organs, sell them on the black market, which I did hear some Alex Jones stuff. Take it that this is uh, hearsay at this point. I've done no investigating, but that there was a hospital where there was a network of people who were harvesting. Too yeah, yeah. In Apparently, it's horrible in China. I was I got into it. It's tough to tell what the news what news is yeah. coming out of you, China because of the information gaps. But there are, allegedly are prisons where they, they just har harvest organs and they from prisoners. You, yeah. yeah. Well, what's crazy in the U.S. is I for a long time assumed when people would be like, "Of course they're not going to do it." That was my mindset. Like, oh, "Of course they're not going to take my organ." But if you look at it as a system and not just a, a blind faith in a doctor, what? Okay, here's a system. If you remove checks and balances, meaning uh, multiple people have to sign off to say that this person is sick, yeah. you add uh, financial incentive, which, by the way, somebody who needs a heart or, or a kidney or something, you think that 
even me without knowing like diamonds like i don't know where it's coming from but i want the nicest one like that if i need a heart i'm not going to put up every dollar i have to find it mm -hmm. and when those two things are in place and, and there's no checks and balances there's an incredible financial incentive it does make sense that somewhere in a large population some profiteer would step sure. up and go yeah I'm no gonna... and it's it's a bit like the justice system i think in the sense that if you have money it's not going to happen to you mm -hmm. like if you have a lot of money and your family has money and you're going to a yeah. certain private hospital that you're paying a lot of money for mm -hmm. and you and are that doctor's already well paid and, and it's exactly not worth it for him. and you yeah. are in bad shape they're not going to let you die to harvest your organs yeah but if you don't have money and you're not in a great hospital and you don't offer a lot of dollar signs to that doctor yeah. could it happen becomes a lot more believable that it would happen and the reason i say this because i used to have a lot of faith in the justice system because like it's not gonna happen to me i'm middle class and then you start to hear stories about people who are impoverished yeah. and the ways that they get set up for crimes or go to jail for things that would never happen to someone who had the means to get a good lawyer yeah there are there are different rules depending on how much money you have and how much money your family has and so yeah, yeah. I don't actually know what happens to the poorest of people in terms of organ harvesting. Yeah, I don't know either. But I, I, I switched from faith in um, society and doctors to faith in systems and incentives. Mm -hmm. And I trust systems and incentives to produce predictable results. And so if it is such a thing where a doctor can make an extra $50,000 on an on-the-call thing, is this it, it, like – not legally, by the way. What we're talking about was illegal, and the hospital did get busted. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But these were illegal bribes. These were illegal sure, payments. Sure. Uh, is would there be someone who would take that? My experience of people. Tells yeah, people me, take illegal payments all the people, time. Yeah. I'm not sorry. That's not me saying it didn't happen. That's just me highlighting that this yeah, is. Yeah. It's not legal. The yeah. system. When you say system, you don't mean the U.S. No, law. sorry. I mean, mean a system whereby a doctor isn't paid a lot, has or, or, access to yeah, organs, yeah. and someone goes to and them no and checking. offers them yeah. fifty grand. A system where in our business, and we've experienced this, where we give you complete access to our coffers and say, uh, just just take what you've the amount of hours you've worked. You yeah, know what I mean? just like, let us know how many I hours you work each week. <laughs> we're not going to check. We're not going to check. One in four people <laughs> will inflate their hours. No, I mean we had we had a guy who took. Uh, I, I don't know if I mentioned this on the podcast. We had a Spanish language translator early in our thing who I didn't check, and he was translating videos, and I came back. And he, what do you know, the system did work perfectly because I maxed him out at, I think, like $1,000 every pay period, which might have been two weeks or something. And as I look back, finally checking over the last six to eight pay periods, what do you know, he hit $1,000 exactly. After the first ones of being little, where he realized I wasn't checking, he had eight periods of $1,000 or six, I don't know what it was. Uh, and I looked, because you're supposed to log your time, and he was he had to log something so it would say nine hours of translating a 10 minute video mm -hmm. you know this one was for how Tyrion gets power it's like dude that was a thousand words and you were doing it in this amount of time just six weeks ago uh so that one hurt that one. <laughs> but predictable but predictable but you, utterly predictable if you take people that you don't have a you because we didn't have a strong relationship with the guy right mm -hmm. so he has no relation re relational reason to be honest yeah, yeah. no affection for us and then you let him bill whatever he wants without checking. Not every person will be dishonest, by the yeah, way. Yeah, just, just one with in the four of them amount. will. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just with the predictable amount, and uh, that's kind of the genius of like uh, of the U.S. system, which is far from perfect. But the checks and balances, it really got systems thinking. 
And it wasn't like, no, we'll just rely on one good president. <laughs> you know, stay in for as long as you like. No, you got to get, well, I guess George Washington established this. You get out after two terms, which I don't know has been technically formalized. Is that a law? You might not yeah. know. Um, it wasn't at his time. He, I mean, that's a good dude. <laughs> like, had the foresight to, to start creating that. Uh, but yeah, that we have the judiciary, which operates independently, and they're elected for life. Now, there's problems with that, but it means that they can operate independently of pressure from the other branches. And like, that's uh, an imperfect, but it was a, a system that was thought out to have checks and balances, recognizing that any individual with power would just t- take your organ. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Uh, what else? Did, we, did you have anything? No, no. Let's go. Let's kick it to Justin. Cool. Um, so the first one is about an ayahuasca retreat, um, and it's about sexual assault. Oh man! So <laughs> this is another predictable. system. I was system. just going to say, unfor- unfortunately, <sighs> predictable system. Yep. Yeah. So, um, it was written about a specific woman who used the name Rebecca, and she um, recounts her her first two times going to a retreat. I think in South America. Yeah. But um, she says that when she went on her first ayahuasca retreat, she was the only single woman there and noticed that the male healer was paying her special attention and how he treated me was very different, which I didn't find suspicious at the time. But upon reflection, now I do. A year later, by now a more experienced ayahuasca drinker, Rebecca returned to the same retreat in Peru. And once again, she says she was treated differently from everyone else. He said he was having problems with his wife and he wasn't sexually fulfilled and that I was the one who was able to cure him of that. And Rebecca, 20 at the time, and the healer in his 50s, also promised her a lot of spiritual advancement or a lot of spiritual power if they had a relationship while his wife was down the road. And there are other accounts of sexual assault um, going as far as rape against this specific guy who I think refers to himself as a shaman. But he denies all allegations, saying that they are imaginings of an unwell person because they come to seek treatment from him after all. Oh, boy. (laughs) I mean, who knows in this particular case, obviously. But I would say it highlights if you're going to go do any of these substances that put you out of your state of mind, right? MDMA therapy, ayahuasca, psilocybin, you have to go with someone you trust. And you can't. And by the way, that probably means that you go with other people and you go to someone that came to you recommended. Exactly. That's that's huge because uh, when we say this is predictable, I want to highlight this isn't the most common outcome of an ayahuasca experience by any means Mm -hmm. but it is predictable that a subset of these which is a minority for sure but a sizable minority enough to care about this can happen uh and you know it's more likely when it's you know an older guy or a younger woman than it is necessarily when it's a female shaman to someone like these these types of things go into it so yeah you gotta you gotta go to someone that has been recommended or vetted or with someone else that's going to be there Mm -hmm. i didn't it kind of glazed over this what happened uh, it it says all that i heard that was explicitly said was paid special attention yeah they didn't really go too far into it uh-huh. um and then promised her a relationship and did that did i guess maybe she was susceptible and acted on that or it's, it doesn't really say um well i i remember i don't remember if it was specifically rebecca <laughs> that said this but some other woman that they also got an account from um basically said that every time she was like under the influence that the shaman would like rape her wow so i uh i did bufo this and it was me and the shaman alone and i you know i'm freaking out at the end of it you know uh, she goes she says how do you feel 
I said, I feel like we're going to have sex right now. And if she had said yes, I absolutely would have. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, no question. Didn't, wasn't thinking about it beforehand. Wasn't part of my plan. Absolutely no questions would have. Mm -hmm. And, of course, she was like, that's just the energy. This is stuff that you need to move through. That's, you know, you can work with this. It's like, and has been wonderful yeah. and, and great. And we, it's just like, God, I recognize how insanely vulnerable you yeah. are. We had a friend, moments. we had a friend who was having a bad, a bad time on ayahuasca. And he, to my knowledge, is he's never done anything homosexual. had not expressed mm -hmm. interest in it prior. And he actually, what he was really oh, messed up. He <laughs> offered to blow one of the homosexual guides. Yeah. And the guide, you know, thankfully, was a good dude, was just like, we're definitely not going to do that. Yep. Like, here's what we're going to do instead. You're going to lie down, keep your clothes on. Yeah. I'm going to, like, guide you. But, yeah, I mean, this stuff puts you in a in a very vulnerable state of mind. Yep, yep. So you want to make sure you're going. I mean, the reason I went to the shaman I went to is because someone I trust had gone before and recommended her. And then when I went, I went with you. I didn't go alone. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Yeah, I mean it's it's crazy that the and this won't happen at most places, but no. you do have to accept it is happening at some percentage of yeah, them. yeah, yeah, and and you know it's it's uh, made worse when you're completely alone, when you're in a foreign country, when you know you're the only woman, and there's a there's a male shaman, like all of that stuff can can compound it. So this isn't to criticize or say anything wrong. It just sucks, you know, yeah. that that's the case. And no, I and have... it's to say there's there are safer ways to do it. Go in a group. Go to a place where you know people have gone before, yeah. things like that. You know, go in, go in a country that you think has uh, it's more likely that their laws will protect you. You know, although obviously bad things happen in all countries. It's so strange. I would be really, uh, I imagine like doing ayahuasca has has had an impact on me and it's had an impact on you, and I think it's had a positive impact. And it's it's strange for me to imagine someone who who works so closely with that being. Uh, so susceptible to like the most basic of violations mm -hmm. meaning meaning the shaman like mm -hmm. this is such an obvious no <laughs> and uh you've you've worked with this for such a long time you've seen the magical things that it's done and i and you probably you know hit some spiritual highs that other people can only imagine but like and it's not enough <laughs> and you're still still doing that stuff so i don't i don't know it's it's i would like to have thought that it would make one immune to such abuses, but unfortunately, it sounds like it does not. Yeah, yeah. So don't sprint towards it. Yeah, you know, do it in a way that's as smart as you can. Mm -hmm. um, the next one is about the hashtag Fitspiration, which took over because of New Year's. Um, so you know, it's a hybrid of fitness and inspiration. It's a hashtag that's been used nearly eighteen million times on Instagram by fitness influencers and their many millions of followers and the rise and the rise and grind mantra that inspires their followers to present their most fit self on Instagram. Um, but research from scientists at the university college London in 2017, um, it was a study of 680 people found that higher Instagram usage was associated with increased likelihood of developing orthorexia which is an addiction to healthy eating and overexercise. Orthorexia is an addiction to healthy eating. I've never heard of that. Yeah, healthy. <laughs> I guess it's more just like in pursuit of like well, being like the perfect. An addiction to exercise I could see being bad. An addiction to healthy eating, I struggle to see. <laughs> I need to I eat, eat in moderation. <laughs> I eat salads for every meal. That sounds pretty yeah. good. Except when I need protein. <laughs> Seems reasonable. I, I support that. As new science comes out, I adjust my diet <laughs> religiously. <laughs> uh i mean you know well, how i feel about studies but well yeah keep, <laughs> Go keep going is that 
no, that's else? pretty much it. Yeah, just okay. like yeah. I I had two experiences like this. I actually there's a girl I'm seeing who I I got into a little disagreement with about this because she says that she likes to follow fitness people because they inspire her, but I don't think they inspire her. Mm-hmm. I think they just make her feel inadequate. Yep. And I do not see them making her work out more or eat better. I do see them creating feelings of insecurity in her. Yeah. And in myself, I used to follow fitness people because I was at the time really into being as muscular and aesthetically pleasing as possible. And they make you feel inadequate, which for me actually did push me to work out harder. And then I ran into one in real life. I went, oh my God, you're not in any better shape than me. Mm -hmm. You just use Photoshop. And that's when I was like, okay, I got to unfollow all of these people because they're giving you an ideal that doesn't even exist. That's not even what they look like. Mm -hmm. And so it's inspiring you to pursue fantasy mm-hmm. like you'll never be happy if you want to look in in real life in natural light the way that professional instagram people look because that's not how they look yeah. you know what i mean yeah so yeah i i think everybody should unfollow every fitness, fitness person. person i really do yeah i really do i think there's other ways to get motivation through a support network through a gym trainer through a, a, there's a number of means and I, I really think that everybody should unfollow their their fitness inspiration people that they follow yeah i mean you know me i take that farther and just say get out of instagram completely because what's happening in fitness is happening in food it's happening in travel it's happening everywhere it's like this isn't what her vacation to rome looked like she didn't stand in front of the fountain and go like this the whole time it was 96 degrees it was crowded as hell she's cranky (laughs) her feet hurt no i I actually did this too so (laughs) so there's even i actually do agree with you surfing is one where you can't really edit it although what you can do is show your highlight reel right so surfers will go out for three hours and put together a five minute highlight reel yeah yeah and again, I was watching, I was following these professional surfers to be inspired and to see what's possible. And I found that what it did more than anything was it made me go out and surf and have less fun because I felt like I was comparing my session to these accounts I was following, mm-hmm. which one, I watched a raw video and what you realize is these dudes fall all the time. Mm-hmm. They, this is their five minutes out of a three hour session that was their best. But two, who cares? Mm-hmm. If you're worse than a professional at something, who cares if you have smaller biceps than the than Arnold Schwarzenegger? You don't surf as well as Kelly Slater. You can still have fun in the gym, feel good about the way you look, enjoy your surf session, even if all you did was go straight. So yeah, I think that all this this idea of watching the world class people to be inspired, I actually think is backwards because yeah. I think it just makes you feel worse about your current state, and I don't think it helps you become a better surfer. I don't think it helps you become in better shape. Well, is it watching or is it Instagram? Because like I, I'm, I don't know. I watch surf tutorials okay. and those are great. And what those are, are people who are a little bit better than I am teaching people at my skill level, mm-hmm. specific things. Like here's how you do a bottom turn. It's not useful for me to watch Kelly Slater unless I'm doing it just to appreciate greatness. Okay. You know what I'm saying? So like I, I watch uh, John Mayer, for instance, and mm-hmm. he actually does make me play more guitar. Like he... Um, it sounds incredible <laughs> you know what i mean like and i go and and sometimes i do get frustrated because i go i will i don't have that tone i will never have that tone uh but i'm curious what you think about if there's so my impression and i could be wrong is that if john mayer records himself playing guitar on youtube that's kind of what he looks like playing in real life yeah. and i think it's fine if you want to watch a three-hour session of a professional and see the waves they miss see mm-hmm. the times they fall and see the things that they do well i think that's okay the more edited something is i think the less helpful it is okay I mean, yeah, I, I like to listen to his live in L.A., which I think has had some post-production, but it's mostly him, which is still insane. Um, but, yeah, that that gets me. For me, it's weirdly enough, 
the medium of Instagram is just is so on average destructive for me compared to the medium of YouTube on average. So for where I, I don't know if it's tutorial or this or that, but I tend to feel better on YouTube. I tend to feel worse on Instagram. Mm-hmm. But I also I think it's harder to like you have to kind of seek out those motivational videos on YouTube. They don't it's not what what tends to crop up on, yeah. on my YouTube. No, and, and personally, I would suggest to people. Even if you want to learn how to shoot a basketball from Steph Curry's masterclass. I think that that's useful, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't necessarily try to learn only by watching Steph Curry's highlights. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You have to watch the full game and see his misses, or you have to watch the thing where he's specifically trying to teach you, mm-hmm. which is his masterclass class that he has. And yeah, I think in the same way, a fitness, I'm not saying a fitness person who has a course can't be helpful. Got it. So you think like house of highlights basketball is if that's the only basketball that you consumed, where you're just seeing people hit 40 foot chucks all day long yep, and you don't see the that's misses. destructive yep. but watching a game of basketball played at the highest level professionals where they make 35 percent of their three-point shots it's great because it lets you know that you can you can if you work really hard maybe get to the point where you're hitting 35 percent of your shots mm-hmm. but you'll see the misses too mm-hmm. and i think that'll make you feel okay about your misses mm-hmm. got it okay so you're just in for the editing is really where you yeah you come down okay mm-hmm. makes sense Last news article is about college career centers are now are now being used to prepare students for job interviews by helping them learn how to dress or college career centers used to prepare students for job interviews by helping them learn how to dress appropriately or how to write a standout cover letter. But these days, they're also trying to brace students for a new reality, which is that they may be vetted for jobs in part by artificial intelligence. So businesses can pose predetermined questions, which are often recorded by a hiring manager that candidates will answer on a camera through their laptop or smartphone. And increasingly, those videos are then poured over by algorithms analyzing details such as words and grammar, facial expressions, and the tonality of the job applicant's voice, trying to determine what kind of attributes a person may have. And based on the analysis, the algorithms will will conclude whether the candidate is tenacious, resilient, or good at working on a team, for instance. And a quote by a student um, in the article who is currently being prepped for the job search said, once I understood the AI interview process, I definitely started thinking about it as a game and how I could optimize for certain qualities or gestures. (laughs) That's interviews, though, in general. In general, you're trying to game. You're trying to present your best self. Yeah. Well, the interview process is so strange because, yeah, What? okay, so the company is looking to hire someone that they can pay less money than they're worth that's the whole goal of the company and the interviewer on average <laughs> is looking to well i guess grow not necessarily get paid more than they're worth i just get the job in many mm-hmm. in many cases but for the ones that aren't good enough don't stand out it's convince a company that they are in fact better than they might well, dude, truly be interviewing is a skill i'm yeah. a 10 out of 10 interviewer i'm not a 10 out of 10 employee mm-hmm. I, it absolutely is not one-to-one even when even when people say like in finance I had to do some financial modeling as part of my interview, which is technically part of the job. But what's not part of the job is schmoozing with the managers, and that was half of my interviews. You know what I mean? So, oh, I did consulting case studies, which uh, were not what an analyst at a consulting firm does. A consulting for those of you who are consultants, consulting case studies would be like XYZ business made ten million dollars two years ago, but eight million dollars last year. They've hired our consulting firm to come in and see what the problem is. Like, how would you go about thinking about this? Be like, well, I'd want to know, you know, what was the revenue and what was their expenses? Well, revenue stayed flat, but expense. Oh, interesting. Can I dig into the exp- and you like ask these high order questions? 
when you come in as an analyst, they hand you a spreadsheet. Yeah. <laughs> and it's got 40,000 lines of toilet paper that has been purchased at various prices. And some other person decided what you were going to do. It's like, this isn't the job. Yeah. Not even close. Not even for a long, long time. And no, it's for, funny that they ask you to think like that. For anyone that's in charge of hiring, what we've done, which I think has been very helpful, is we just make people do the job. <clears throat> so, if, so if we're hiring a script writer, we just make you write a script. Yeah. We go, this is the job. We're not going to make you answer questions about the mm-hmm. philosophy of a script. We're not going to theorize about what makes good writing and ask you, how many adjectives per sentence? Yeah. We just go, will you write a script about Craig Ferguson yeah, and then yeah. we'll read it. We'll see if it's good. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the, to me, that seems like the most logical way to hire. Which is funny because at no point in a consulting thing do they mention Excel. Yeah. And I lived in Excel, which is, they're like, oh, we can teach you the Excel. What we can't teach you are these higher order skills. It's like weird because there's a book called Crack the Case that's only this thick. Yeah. And it, well, it uh, taught me how to do this. That's the, dude, <laughs> like, that's the other thing I was going to say. So, so if you're an employer, I think make your interview as much as possible like the job. If you're trying to get a job, it is so easy to hack interviews. Yeah. So easy. Well, the way they're set up is a just, joke. Just find out what the interview is going to be like by researching online or reading about the industry or finding other people that have interviewed and then just practice it. And you could be totally unqualified for the job and absolutely smash an interview. They are hilariously easy to, is, to prep is for. Is there something similar in banking, this mantra? Because I heard it a dozen times in consulting, which is like, don't worry about Excel. Like we could teach you Excel. What we can't teach you how to do is to think like this. Mm-hmm. And it's completely backwards. Thinking like that takes 30 to 45 minutes. Microsoft Excel macros are so much more complex. So I'm curious if there's anything like that in finance where they go, you know, don't worry about this. What I need to know is that you can. Well, not really, but you just know ahead of time what they're going to ask. So they do. They're like run through a DCF model by hand. So this is what you're going to make in Excel. Uh, It's a discounted cash flow model, but you're going to have to do it with pen and paper, which is even harder. Mm -hmm. And it is harder the first time you do it. But if you do any research into investment banking, you know they're going to ask you to do it. You practice it 10 times, mm-hmm. and then it's really easy. So you, they, they should be asking you questions that will tie into your job, but that you don't know are coming to see what your actual knowledge base is. But instead, they really just test how good are you at doing this thing that you saw coming? Yeah. How, how prepped are you? I'll tell you what we do, and I, and I think this is probably the, the most we've, – we've done a lot of hiring over the last several years. We've messed up a ton of times, so we have some data on what has and hasn't worked. If you are – I guess this is useful both if, if you're a hirer for sure, but also if you're reaching out for a job. Yeah, I assume most people are on the other end. Yeah. They don't necessarily own a business. But this I – I think if people are smart, they're going to start moving in this direction. Whenever anybody asks me how to hire, I do this. First thing, in the job description somewhere, I bury something. I bury something, and it's like in the eighth paragraph down, whatever. It's like, by the way, make the subject line of your response, I am a rock star. And I throw out every single application that hasn't caught this thing. Mm -hmm. And so I think what a lot of people do is they worry about the cover letter and the this and the that. And what I'm checking for is attention to detail. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's one thing that we definitely do. The other thing that instantly makes people stand out is if it is if as I describe the job, you take and it often doesn't take more than 10, 15 minutes to do it. So, for instance, I was looking for someone back in the day to do uh, social media posting and I was looking, you know, right, you know, point to some campaigns that you've done in the past. And the woman that we hired, who has been one of our best employees, wrote, hey, I took some of the quotes that you said in your last video, and I made a mock-up of what those might look like on Instagram. And she sent me six of the quotes, just, you know, blue background, nice quote, cool Yeah, and if someone else had had a better resume, let's say, she had three years of experience, you have seven. Or say she charged more money, or say she... She's going to crush you, because you wrote in a piece of paper, 
and she sent in a piece of paper and five pdfs mm -hmm. that look really nice she's showing i can do this job and here's the quality i would do it at yeah and just crushes anyone else who might look better on paper she makes every she makes me throw out everybody else so finding some way to go above and beyond and usually it's with a sample of your work not your portfolio but how you would apply it to their thing like hey i'm a i'm a copywriter and i rewrote the first paragraph of your sales page you know it doesn't need to be a ton but yeah. like this is what i'm thinking uh has been that that catapults people to the front of the line with anything that we've done mm -hmm. and i'm curious if there's anything else that you that you would recommend people do that from our own process of being on the other side the hiring side no i mean at its core it's just figure out what they're going to ask and then prepare answers mm -hmm. you know what i mean you should not be stumped especially if you have a oh, a big gonna, a big industry job to talk about our uh, our interview oh sure <laughs> we had a terrible interview <laughs> let's not say with who we've done you know there's enough applicants that i don't think this will be yeah. outing anyone we did a absolutely awful interview for a potential scriptwriter. yeah it was uh so what are the learnings there from from this particular interview i mean Oof. here's here's so we're, we're hiring scriptwriters. he didn't prep i would say he, he did not seem to think it was important to have um, thought about the questions he was going to get asked and have tight, thoughtful answers to them. He was he felt like he was winging it and yeah. he's going to look worse than anybody who's prepared themselves. And so this is the thing that I, I actually thought when I was younger. Don't show up to an interview that you're not going to prep for. Don't waste your time because you like, won't get it. Because for me, I, I think there's this thing. It's like apply to all these businesses. Like I, I think a. Uh, do not be a shotgun. You don't need to be a sniper rifle, but you need to be some sort of semi-automatic single bullet shooter. Like, I pick you, I pick you, I pick you. Or be a shotgun to the same type of job. Sure. I applied to 100 investment banks. Mm -hmm. Their interviews were identical. Okay. So I prepared for one interview yeah. and I was ready for 100. Yeah. So I think what people just apply. And so he had an opportunity to interview. He blocked off literally the amount of time that we had. And that was all of the thought. And so we had questions and they were just poorly we had sent him questions ahead of time that he he had he was clearly impromptu answering uh -huh. you know what i mean and I, and I would say if you want to get a job do the opposite even if they don't send you the questions ahead of time think what are they going to ask me mm -hmm. and have tight answers for each job so if you're applying to a certain job think of okay when i'm talking about my work experience how can i present it so it highlights the strengths i have for this job so if you're applying to be a consultant and an accountant, you can have the same resume. But when they ask you, okay, so tell me about yourself, walk me through your resume, what you say should be different. When you're talking to the management consulting firm, you should be highlighting what makes you a good consultant. And yeah. when you're talking to the accountant, you should not be saying what makes you a good consultant. Yeah. <laughs> if, your spiel is, if your spiel is the same, you're gonna lose to the person who has thought, how do I present myself for this company to yeah. be excellent for them? I think for almost every interview, the other skill that sounds like it doesn't but matters is storytelling. Yeah. And so, okay, you can learn storytelling from our channel. You can learn it from Charisma University. You can learn you can learn the principles of it. But what you also should do is reflect on your life and think of these spike moments where something interesting happened. You stood up uh, and and organized a team in your classroom. You did like you need to reflect on your own experience. Be like, what are the five most interesting pivotal moments? They could be answers to the question. Tell me about a time when you fill in the blank. Uh, and so we had pre-sent a question, tell us about a time in your life where charisma changed something for you, where it was hugely beneficial. And the answer we got was, there's not really a time, like it's just always been part of me. It's yeah, I'm always, always charismatic I'm, and everything good that's ever happened to me is because of my charisma. Yeah. And we're sitting there going, 
This does not help me imagine you at all. I have no concreteness mm -hmm. around your strengths now. I've learned nothing about you. Yeah, yeah. Not to mention that it was not a good interview other yeah. than that. It's like that's not on this interview. It wasn't with you. Um, uh, but the, then the last – so that's that's things to learn. But what I learned in this interview about the industry is so we're, we're uh, talking to people who write for, for other – organizations that you would see for instance if you google how to be confident how to do this how to do this the big companies that come up are the fortune forbes uh time uh, inc you know you name them you know the ones that are going to come up that have those 750 word articles with you know 10 steps to whatever uh these are people that write these articles and what i realized the process which we asked about and confirmed to writing this is to see what other people have written work really hard to get the SEO, the search engine optimization, to make yours rank. So you get the right title and the right number of steps into this. And then basically just reconfigure pre-existing advice written by people who don't really know what they're talking yeah. about. My, my biggest takeaway from talking to this guy was be careful who you are learning from online. Because often what happens is when you're trying to learn something, it means you don't know about it. And that means that you don't recognize necessarily when the person you're learning from also knows nothing about it. The the example that was given specifically on the call was how to start a business. He said, he's like, yeah, I wrote an article on how to start a business. And so we, we asked, did you start a business? And basically the answer is, I filed for an LLC 10 years ago, which is not how to start a business at all. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like uh, there's obviously more than the the filing of that. Like LegalZoom can handle that yeah. for you. And this is someone that is maybe ranking on the first page teaching you how to start a business. Yeah, and the article was going to look credible because it's on Inc. or Forbes yeah. or someone like that, right? And so the takeaway I had was if I want to learn how to start a business, I need to make sure I'm learning it from Richard Branson yeah. or some self-made millionaire who's living a lifestyle business I want or whatever mm -hmm. it is. And if I'm learning about fitness, I want to make sure I'm learning it from somebody who appears to be fit and should know what they're talking about. And it, it was – yeah, I couldn't believe that a guy who had never started a business is one of the top articles. Well, I, we, I don't know how he ranks, but like that, that that's the goal is for like th yeah. that, that these organizations have staff writers that they pay to write about things of which they know very little. And the process of research is regurgitate the other stuff. And it's so unfortunate because then when you want to know how to start a business <laughs> and you try to learn, mm -hmm. you end up reading something that's not based on experience. Yeah. It's not going to help you start a business. Yeah, yeah. Crazy. Um, so that was, that was, uh, a learning experience for, if you do want to start a me. business, I get no money for this, but read the four hour work week because that's a guy who did start a business yeah. and you can actually, I can vouch for it cause I started a business yeah. with that information. Mm -hmm. Anywho, <laughs> what do we got next? Fan questions. All right. I forgot about that. What a bad interview. First one is from Evan, who is actually the guy who wrote it about the potential cult, like okay. camp. Yeah. yeah. So he had a part two. He wanted to assure you guys that yeah, it's probably closer to Ben's okay. Jewish sleepaway camp than <laughs> than, than, than a cult. It's not a pedophilia sex cult. <laughs> yes. Um, so what happens when you read a lot of cult stuff? Cult stuff, yeah. Yeah. So he says, um, "I'm an 18 year old on an Orthodox Jewish gap year program that's located in Jerusalem, and I already do most of what you suggest in the video. Uh, I ignore all the rabbis' tips and tricks, and I hang out with mostly the kids with questions like myself." Mm -hmm. um, he says, I'm at the point where I've decided to leave my faith, however, and I have yet to tell my parents. They're very giving and they support me financially, but I feel like their kindness is fundamentally conditional. I've been arguing with them for years now, but I'm afraid if they knew the true extent of my atheism, they'd pull out the, they'd pull the rug out from under me. 
It's a prospect that scares me because I can't pay for college on my own, and I don't want to spend the rest of my life working off student loan debt. My question is this, should I wait until I'm financially independent to tell my parents, or is it that, or is it just worth kicking the can down the road? Okay, so I don't know you and your parents. This would be, if I had perfect information, I could give two different answers here. Like if I knew that your parents were going to absolutely slice you out of their life like a clean cut, I probably wouldn't tell you at this point to be as potentially fascinating i wouldn't either but i thought you i thought you and i were going to disagree there no if i, I think... was guaranteed because religion's weird if i was guaranteed that his parents were hyper religious and he was going to be dead to them mm-hmm. i might wait till i graduated from college and, I, yeah, and yeah, I, yeah. what i'd probably do is be like listen i'm going to get a job out of college i'm going to yeah. support myself financially 22 and 18 are totally different yeah, yeah like i'm not going to take a dime i'm yeah. willing to bet on myself at 21 or 22 yeah. but at 18 I might just like go to college. You're going to talk to your parents once every three months. Uh, yeah, so, and just, you know, not really, not really make it a thing. And the other thing, I mean, uh, look, uh, my parents helped me file for student loans, but they didn't help me pay them. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. So like you can at 18, I didn't realize it at the time because the checks were there. I was financially independent. I was just borrowing from future me. So you can do it. Yeah, you can do it. But the question is, it, and it wasn't that terrible. It really wasn't. So I, I'm actually not so concerned about the money as the emotional casting away clean cut at 18. Uh, I, in terms of college finances, I think it's worth being honest. Truthfully. I mean, that's my life. I, I, I paid for my college. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, both of them <laughs> grad school too so i'm i'm i have uh you can do it i have less concern with that you take out a loan you get some job they they you have to pay a thousand dollars a month in student loans it's terrible Forever. it suffocates you and then you you're like i need the four-hour work week and you go out and you and you work even harder because of those loans at least that was my experience the what scares me is the like emotional severance that said i i don't think based on what you're saying and the tone that I'm reading into it, that that is likely to be what's happening. Who knows? Some, I don't know. some families do. You're right. Some families do. I don't do. know. I don't know. But what often is the case is that when the kid is thinking of coming out of the closet, uh, when they're thinking of talking about their atheism, it is more often than not the case that they imagine a worse response. Like very, very rarely do people imagine, oh, this is going to go swimmingly. And then they get, you know, yeah, yeah. axed. So that said, weighing everything, I would consider talking to them and you can create a space in which to do this and tell them how much you love them and that this scares you because you don't want to lose them and all of these things uh you're getting to the age where you are strong enough to be honest um you will definitely be there by 22 and there's some gray area in between but i would encourage you to consider that you might be there and that it might be you know it could be excellent they could they could still love you despite this uh, maybe they won't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, you know what? If it's conditional, it's not love anyway. You yeah. know, like it's just conditional financing at this point. It's now, totally, it's totally isn't what's going to happen. I'm not promising this at all. But I grew up Jewish, got a bar mitzvah. My sister got a bat mitzvah. We went to synagogue for all the high holidays. And at one point, I went to them and said, "Hey, just want to let you guys know, I'm agnostic at this point. Like, who knows what's going on? The universe is big. Some of this book doesn't make sense. And uh, I'm, I just am opting to not say I know anything definitively." And they went, oh, thank God, yeah. because we only go to synagogue for you. Yeah. We've all been agnostic this whole time. Your sister told us this three years ago, even though she's younger than you. And I went, ah, shit. <laughs> but I thought that they were all but devout. You, and you I were, thought they were all devout Jews. You were never orthodox. You know? No, no, I'm, I'm not saying this yeah. is going to happen to you. I'm just highlighting an anecdote where you think yeah. that 
you know what's going on and you and you don't. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not promising that at all. No, certainly not. Um, yeah, you're in this gray space, 18. You're absolutely, I, in my opinion, into a black or whiter space by age 22. Uh, and I would encourage you to consider that at some, like, if, if you do go the route of saying, I'm going to hold off, what you're kind of saying is that the money that I can extract from you is more valuable than the honest relationship I could hopefully have with you. And that's a bummer. And I don't know your intelligence level, what you're capable of, but there are certainly 18-year-olds that can go out there and they can make difficult financial situations work. So set yourself up, get some plans in place. But in my opinion, I would, I would encourage you to consider this more honest relationship with the hope that it turns out, if not difficult, uh, still you you love them they love you even if they cut you off financially you know i'm here to say no wrong answers no wrong that's, answers. that's my vote i know it's not the most helpful thing but it's honestly how i feel and i don't want to make you think that i that i think one is better than the other sure and if and if you decide not to you decide to wait a period of time i mean i'm not gonna bang down your door i don't yeah. <laughs> you're totally cool with me um you got to read the room yeah yeah <laughs> yeah at some point you got to stop reading the room though at yeah. some point at some point you got to go your reaction is uh not going to adjust the level to which I'm honest with you. Mm -hmm. And at age one, you read the room. <laughs> and at age 22, you're definitely done. Well, and at some point, you you adjust. Yeah. Uh, so hope that helps. Good luck. Yeah. All right. Second one I wrote down. It's from Anonymous. If you guys write questions in the Google Forms, I'll just assume you want some kind of anonymity. Um. So they say, I have a creepy roommate who has a very aggressive energy around him and yells at me, slams my door, and other manipulative stuff. I feel a lot of fear around him, almost like he's going to punch me at any time or get more violent. At the same time, I don't want to be a coward since I have paid to stay at the place and we are not going to be living in the same place for too much longer. So how do I survive this last period of time here? Darn. So for this one, I actually feel, I feel stronger about my advice. Okay. Um, I'd say get out. I'd say get out. The daily the daily toll of being stressed, of having cortisol and anxiety, it's not good, man. It's going to make your or lady, it's going to make your your work worse. It's going to make your day to day emotion worse. That level of unhappiness, I think, you prepaid your rent, uh, unless you truly can't afford it. If you had, if you had three grand in the bank, I would say go get a place for five hundred bucks. Go get a Craigslist roommate. Get out of this violent abusive roommate situation well it he's not yet been violent directly right it's slamming doors and saying mean things he feels i mean i guess there could be a world where this person's completely misreading the situation i've never been scared of a roommate this person sounds like a bully and so what i would just potentially suggest is prior to moving out that a conversation can occur where I'm betting that the person doesn't assault you <laughs> over the course of this conversation. If you can't comfortably make that bet, you think this person is going to jump you, punch you, assault you, don't have the conversation. But if you think that you could sit down and even if it makes them angry, even if it makes them scream, that you could come out physically unscathed, if that's a bet, then I would I would speak to them. What's the description of the actions? Slamming um, doors, right? Has very aggressive energy around him, yells at me, slams my door, and other manipulative stuff. I think this is a conversation i think this is and, and honestly this is uh, i've never been scared every day this guy said he was scared every day right 
a feel he feels a lot of fear that something could happen and quite frankly this sounds to me again i'm reading into it as is ben we don't have the full context of this but it reads to me as this if this person is a bully it reads to me as that you might be someone who is susceptible to bullies and uh not in a accusatory or, or blame-filled way that you might call this towards your you know you might this, well, again, I, I this wish person we had, wouldn't do it to Ben. Let's I wish put we had. It that de- way. Well, I wish we had details. Who is this guy? Is he in a gang? Is he got a neck tattoo sure. and a drug sure, problem? Yeah, and a gun. Seriously, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, is, he, is he an alcoholic? Like, <laughs> I don't. Think I don't want to so. know yeah. who you're. No, it's the truth. If your roommates never punched anyone in their entire life, then you're probably safe. Yeah. If he's an alcoholic, who's in a gang? Yeah. GTFO. But if he has punched someone, and he's a jerk. I, I'm just imagining you, and I don't think they would do this to you. And I think it's because— I got sucker punched by a blackout alcoholic who had a shitty setup, you know? Sure, sure, sure. I had a roommate? No, no. But I'm just saying, like— I'm... If you had interacted with that blackout alcoholic for the previous six months, I don't think he would have sucker punched you. Probably. <laughs> I think he was walking out of a bar. You know what I mean? Probably. Like, um, so, yeah. So, there is certainly a circumstance this is in which the thing. I yeah, I don't know the details. Who is the guy? Who's the roommate? Yeah. You know? How how so, prone is he to actual violence? There's no definitive answer. The closer he is to someone with a gun who will actually assault you, the less you should speak to them. The more this is a run-of-the-mill, mean bully who might sometimes threaten aggression, maybe even gets aggressive, but is unlikely to assault you, the more I lean towards speak to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so if it's closer on this side— what you can say is like, look, man, uh, can I talk to you? We, I feel like I give the same advice, but I, mean, I, I need like a little paper that comes up. Set up a different time and space to do it uh, where, you're, where you're opening them up. It's not after they slam the door. You go, you know what? We need to talk right now. Bad time. Like you get home. They're chill. Be like, hey, man, uh, there's something I've been meaning to talk to you about. Do you have five minutes? Like something different that's going to that's gonna snap them into a conscious like, oh, God, what's going on here? This is tough for me to say. I don't really know what, how to do it. Uh, when you – fill in the behavior that happens uh when you shut the door the other day and it made that loud noise you don't even have to say slam the door because they might dispute that like when you shut the door when you said this the other thing when you said this it made me feel when you then i uh and because of that i don't feel comfortable at home i don't do this and i've been considering leaving but i don't want to feel this way i don't want to have this kind of relationship with you uh and i want to talk to you about it in the hopes that we can work it out so that this doesn't happen and I don't wind up getting a different place. Uh, one, because it's expensive, and two, it's because I don't want to walk around the world feeling like I can't be in the same physical space as you. <laughs> uh, and then allow that to sort of unfold. And again, you're not telling them that they're bad. You're not telling them, uh, don't argue over definitions if you find yourself getting embroiled and I didn't slam the door or I didn't like stick to things that are when you said X, Y, Z words like that, that are tougher to deny. Yeah, we always talk about facts and feelings Yeah, that try to say things that are indisputable. Yeah. So they're unarguable facts or they're about your feelings. That yes. way, no one can tell you how you actually feel. And so that way you don't get caught in an argument. Mm-hmm. And, and what you're asking for is some people are like they, they have this discussion to make the other person wrong. What you're, which you're not interested in that. What you're interested in is, is behavior change. Uh, so – can we please not do that anymore? You know, like, can you not say things of this particular nature? When you leave this room, will you not shut the door so loudly? Uh, you know, all of this kind of stuff. And I would recommend that. And if it doesn't happen, then to Ben's point, uh, if you're living with someone who is uncontrollably mean, angry, and violent, yes, sooner than later, it's, it's oftentimes worth the money to leave that sort of an environment. So what might... about what about something that's less 
um, I guess like fear instilling, but more like just a really messy roommate mm-hmm. who you sit down and talk to and they still haven't changed their ways. What, what would you say about that? So, uh, so someone who's had a really messy roommate. We had this. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think? I mean, <laughs> I mean, I just accepted it because I was I was in love with her. So, <laughs> so I would say, what did what would you think? I was well, happy was... to I was happy to roll around in the mess, man. I was infatuated. So what happened? So it was it was different with me because the mess was uh, it would get messy out there, but it was ninety percent contained to your room, right? It on occasion would be uh, dishes and stuff left out, which I I wasn't heavily involved in this. Um, but what, what I would do if I was really interested, let's say that I wanted the kitchen cleaned, I would sit down and come up with universal rules, with, which would not have been exclusively applied to her. Mm-hmm. I would say like, let's agree on like universal rules and potentially like universal, uh, how, like, like the hot, the Hague, you know, when you break the rule, what are we going to come together and how will this be dealt with? Uh, and it might be like, you know, you pay the other person five bucks when this doesn't happen. It might be simple like that. And uh, co-create them, right? Yeah, you're, co-create. You're not, superior, to me. you're not superior to your roommates. So yeah, you don't yeah. get to just come in with a list and be like, here are the rules, house yeah, yeah. rules. If, so you, you have know, to co-create the rules. And you negotiate. And you're like, okay, if the dishes aren't cleaned up after dinner, uh, it's going to be five bucks. She's like, well, sometimes I like to watch my TV show. I was like, okay, if the dishes aren't cleaned up by, the by 8 a.m. the next morning, where cleaned up means uh, at least taken into the dishwasher, do this, the other thing, or we have days. And you can you can set out the structure of this uh, to enforce it and throw something on the fridge if there's days that people have particular chores or whatnot like that. Uh, but the co-creation would be the biggest part of it. And, and like – yeah, I think that's what might be missing is when you talk to someone what if they and they go, oh, say, yeah, I'm going to change, I'm going to change, I'm going to change. What if they just change. say no, though? How could Henry get you to do it? Uh, I pay most of the rent. <laughs> so, Not a huge portion, right? I, it's fairly even. What if it were 50-50? Henry goes, fine, I'll pay 50-50. I wouldn't take it. <laughs> exactly. So, so what could Henry do? What he, can Henry do? He doesn't do? want to pay 50-50. <laughs> Let's say he did, though. Let's okay. say he did, seriously. Uh, it's okay. Because sometimes you can't get someone to come to the bargaining table. I have an assistant who cleans up far more than him. It's just not what's happening in our house. You know what I mean? Like, in our house, if we were to actually go to the bargaining table, it'd be like, okay, my assistant will only clean my area. <laughs> like, you, you, he, if he wanted me to be cleaner, he would be ignoring the fact that my assistant, who I pay, cleans a lot of his stuff as well, you know? So it's, it would have to have been a different situation in our lives. Maybe. I mean, I, th- I think to Justin's point, not everyone's going to want to come to the table, though. I, I think we should talk about clean. No, man, get off my back. Well, I want to set, set house rules. No, I'm good. Yeah. Like, how do you get that person to want to wanna engage you on this? Uh, how do you get that person to want to engage you? I think you determine what common space is. And if it's evenly paid. Here's the thing. Me and Henry don't evenly pay. The space isn't common, you know? Like, uh the kitchen is is it's it's an it's an uneven relationship but a messy tougher. person might not mind a mess right so let's say totally let's say me and you pay 50 50 rent okay. you come in you say hey man you got to clean the dishes and in return i'll clean the dishes i go nah mm-hmm. let's just let them sit let's just let them sit hmm i think you get a different roommate at that point you know what i mean if like if if you guys can't come to an agreement over uh common spaces that's that's not a good roommate you know if not common spaces common rules for the common grounds how you're going to speak to each other how you're going to this that and the other thing if there's if there's not a non-starter i also think that there's a realm where unfortunately people aren't perfect <laughs> and it you got to decide what battles you want to fight sure that's sure. what i think and so like I think if you're really close to someone and you love living with them and they do something that bothers you, you got to decide, is this the hill I'm going to die on? 
Because you could say, okay, I'm going to find a different roommate. You could also say, okay, my roommate's messy. It's not ideal. But on the whole, net positive, And I like living with them. Mm -hmm. So I will do a disproportionate amount of the dishes. And I'll do it without resentment because I'm accepting it. Yeah, I'm yeah. accepting that this is who this person is. And they're going to make me laugh 10 times a day. And they're going to piss me off with dirty dishes four times a week. And I accept that bargain. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And... Uh, and yeah, and I think that's a good point because I was like, oh, just move out. But what you're saying is, no, take the power over the situation and go. This is me and you, man. Yeah, we don't yeah. think the other one's perfect. Yeah, We're yeah, not yeah. perfect friends. We also but don't we live in the same apartment. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, like, no, but there are things that we do that the other person doesn't like, but we don't go straight to cutting cutting the person out. But what I think we did do at some level, and it wasn't because of dirtiness, it was because of our ex-girlfriends. But what we said was, uh, I'll go. What I said is, here's a non-negotiable thing for common space. My girlfriend's going to be there. And you said, well, here's a non-negotiable thing for my common space. My girlfriend's going to be there. And we said, sounds like we need two different apartments. Sure. You know what I mean? Sure, but there's, I mean, I'm sure there's tons of things along the way that we didn't like. Yes, yes. And dishes, dishes probably fall into that category, which is like, this isn't uh, important enough. Yeah, at, at so that's all, I'm, that's all yeah. I'm saying. You went, you went straight to get a new roommate and i'm saying i actually think there's a world where you just accept people's mm -hmm. net net positive with flaws and you go all right my roommate's gonna suck at cleaning dishes and i can't make him change because he doesn't care and he doesn't want to engage i think your advice is a fine course of action but i think a lot of people will pursue it and then find the person's not receptive Yeah, you're right and um, i was thinking more along the lines of this person who was uh f displaying behavior that was more akin to the first guy well no like, but i'm saying get, to get justin's out. point people have roommates that are messy mm -hmm. and they're not going to want to come and negotiate a u.n settlement over it you know they're is just this, gonna go is this you by the way justin no i just thought it would be more okay <laughs> yeah like i think it is yeah. you know i think it is and i think that if you if the person's dishes make you not want to live with them that's a great opportunity to get a new roommate mm -hmm. if you find yourself frustrated but you don't want to do that because you like the person a lot i'm just here to tell you that's okay yeah yeah like you don't have to feel like you're supposed to cut them out yeah what you don't want to do is feel stuck mm -hmm. uh, and you feel stuck when you feel like somebody else has the power in the situation which is where you're in a situation where you feel like you need them to pay the rent or to be your friend or to do something else and you also need them to change and in that sort of situation you don't have any power mm -hmm. right because because now they have all the power they they have the bargaining chip of the rent and they have the ability to change or not change and what you're saying is get to the point where you've decided that you're willing to give one of those things up weirdly enough taking the power back yeah so if you if you go you know what i don't care if you change like now i'm comfortable or you go you know what i don't care if you move out and i have to pay the entirety of the rent now you feel more comfortable in that circumstance yeah uh cool right. anything and else yep the last one is also from someone from the google forums so they're anonymous um they ask I have a very laid-back attitude to the point where I find I don't care much about anything other than what I'm doing in the moment. Do you think this is detrimental to success? And if so, is it possible to start caring about things while maintaining a low level of stress? Well, uh, so I'm imagining you asking the question as some of our other fans are around the age of 18 to 20. Uh, and that's one answer. But when you ask it, when I think of the Buddha, like, is it impossible to care about things and maintain a low level of stress? The answer is no. <laughs> All attachment to a particular outcome creates suffering and stress. So on a philosophical, spiritual level, absolutely not. But here you are, a young man or woman operating in the world, 
concretely, can you care about things without having a super elevated level of stress? I would say that they're, yeah, that, that you can. Uh, what was the first part of the question? Um, that they find that they don't really feel any kind of motivation. They're just in to the moment. Anything. They're just chilling. Yeah. They're, they're having a good time. Well, I don't know where you're at, but why do you want success? would be the question like what's so good about success and i mean if you're truly in moment to moment bliss over a consistent period of time without success uh and things are working in a way that is relatively sustainable you've got a low income job which you're you're fine with or, or a way to pay your bills i don't see the value of success honestly from from that perspective sure i'll i will say though that i think that there's while it's nice to be present all the time if you find that there are things making you unhappy, then you aren't the Buddha, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you are not the Buddha, then I think it's worth thinking about long-term pain and pleasure in addition to short-term pain sure. and pleasure, right? So for myself, when I was younger, I had acne and it was uh, made worse by fast food, right? So I could be present eating a McDonald's hamburger and joyously eating the hamburger, right? But I'm not the Buddha, which meant that when I did get acne, it made me upset, right? So I actually think there is value to thinking about long-term pleasure in addition to short-term pleasure. Mm -hmm. And so if you're someone who finds that you're just chilling in the moment, you love playing video games every day, hanging out with your buddies, drinking beer every day, but then there are times where you're unhappy with your life. Yeah, where you reflect because you, this deep dissatisfaction. You go, I don't, I'm not proud of who I am. I'm not living a life I'm proud of. I don't look back in my day-to-day -day and feel good. I'm sitting right now in the present, not feeling good because I don't like the way my body feels, I walk upstairs and I struggle because I'm not in good shape, whatever it is, I think until you do achieve Buddha levels of the joy, the constant joy, <laughs> breaking your leg and feeling that that's okay, losing your job and feeling that that's okay, right? Uh, take into account, is your, is your chill presence creating a happy life for you? If the answer is yes, cool. And if the answer is I actually end up enjoying the present moment, but then down the line, I end up feeling bad about how I spend my time. I think there's value in doing stuff that is going to lay you up for a future pleasure, you mm -hmm. know, going to the gym or training guitar because you have a performance coming up, even though in the moment you might just want to watch TV, that future pleasure might be worth the practice. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So that's my take on it. It really depends how you feel. If you are happy with your life and proud of yourself then keep doing your thing if you're unhappy with your life and you don't like the results you're getting then change your behavior yeah i'm anti-hustle culture so <laughs> it's not about hustle culture my this is how i feel about everything this is how i feel about fitness dating charisma whatever it is you don't need money you don't need charisma are you happy with your circumstances if yes don't change your behavior if no change your behavior mm-hmm you know what I mean? Well, with Tony, there was a deeper, not deeper, there was an additional question, which was how, and I think Tony Robbins has a thing where if you don't care about something, but you would like to care about it because you find that it would drive you towards actions that would, that would over the course of time create a better circumstance, a really useful idea, uh, exercise is to sit and with high emotion write down a couple of things. Uh, first off, why do I want this? Like what's the deep burning underlying reason? Uh, and what will my life look like if I keep down the status quo and I don't do this? You know, let's just say that I continue the status quo, but it's three years later. 
now instead of being a lazy 18 year old hanging out i'm a lazy 21 year old hanging out, sure. know, or even or 10 years or like 30 like what about when i'm 28 and i maintain this and if you want to care make it painful you know my you know people reasonably don't want to spend time with me because i'm completely uninteresting you know you write this down uh and then you can write down the flip side is okay 10 years from now three years pick your time period Let's say that I do adopt these different behaviors. What can I expect my life to look like? And those three questions, why is this important? What happens in three, five, pick your pick your time period, 10 years if I don't do this, really highly emotional, and what does my life look like if I do make this change? That often gives you uh, some emotional fuel to yeah. to get moving. Yeah, and, and I would say get vivid, get vivid with it. You know, if you, so for instance, I, I worked, I was a coach at one point and I worked with a woman who was overweight and she wanted to lose weight. When you say picture the future, she doesn't just picture herself the same weight, but with wrinkles, right? It's like, what is this actually going to look like? And her doctor had said she was getting diabetes and this and that. And so um, it was to her, the visualization of being too sick to attend her kid's high school graduation or being dead, God forbid, for her kid's high school graduation. And she imagined it so vividly with her eyes closed in the moment, not running from it, even though it was painful, that she burst into tears. She also lost 75 pounds that year. Mm -hmm. So I think there's this sense of like, she was enjoying eating poorly day to day. And she wasn't that upset day to day with her results. But she was also ignoring the long-term effects of what was going to happen to her. if She kept eating the way she was and not, not living a life that was active. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. I think for her, once she started taking into account the short-term pleasure versus short-term pain and the long-term pleasure versus long-term pain, she changed her own behavior. I did not have follow-up calls with her. I wasn't on her every week saying, hey, did you work out? I just We just had that one call and then she shot me a text a year later saying I lost 75 pounds. And so mm -hmm. I think, yeah, it really depends on if you're happy. Like enjoying the present moment is awesome. The other thing is like, are you happy with what that's getting you in your life? Mm -hmm. Cool. Hope that helps. Yeah, I hope that helps. Anything else? Nope. Boom. Good podcast, guys. Have a wonderful day. We'll catch you next time. Peace. Very good. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.